The Midland City Planning Commission is responsible for overseeing the city's master plan, conducting public hearings, and offering recommendations to the City Council on a wide range of local land use issues. The Planning Commission consists of nine Midland residents who are appointed by the City Council. Planning Commission meets two Tuesdays per month at 7 p.m. in Council Chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on at Uverse, or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. Good evening and welcome to this regular meeting of the Midland City Planning Commission taking place on Tuesday, August 22nd. Meeting is called to order. Please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. Call roll. Decro here. Thomas here. McCoy here. Collinger here. Griffiths here. Panasic here. Craig here. Powell here. Broderick here. Mr. Chair, if you didn't already guess, you have a quorum. All right. Next item on our agenda is approval of the minutes. We have one uh, minutes to approve those from our regular meeting on August back on August eighth. Any motion we approve the minutes as written. I second. I have a motion from Commissioner Griffiths and a second from Commissioner Thomas to approve the minutes from the regular meeting on August 8th. All those in favor er, say aye. 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 Those opposed, same sign. Minutes are approved. Next item on our agenda uh, would be public hearings. We have two this evening. Um, as we get started, a uh, rundown of our process will begin with a staff presentation and overview of the petition. Then we'll invite the petitioner to present before opening it up for public comments. We will then provide the opportunity for the petitioner to rebut and provide final comments before the close of the public hearing. So with that, we'll begin with our first public hearing this evening, which is on zoning petition number 651. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Your first public hearing on zoning petition number 651 is a request from Stonegate Manor Condominium Association to rezone lots 2 through 21 of Stonegate Manor. There are multiple property owners involved in tonight's zoning petition. As I mentioned, the location is Stonegate Manor lots 2 through 21. Total site area of those lots is 6.87 acres. Those lots are currently located in the city's RB multiple family residential district. The petitioners are proposing RE3 single family residential zoning. Subject properties are located just to the north and west of North Saginaw Road, North Perrin Road. Stonegate Drive is a private street that takes access off of Perrin Road and heads toward the west to service uh, the 22 lots that compose Stonegate Manor subdivision. The applicant is proposing to rezone just uh, lots two through 21, which are the interior lots of the development. The two outer lots uh, that are adjacent to Perrin Road contain two family dwellings. And so the applicant, the petitioners rather, um, are not proposing to rezone those properties and rather to maintain the existing 
residential B zoning. As we zoom in just a little bit more, you'll see that the, there's a mix of developed and undeveloped lots within Stonegate Manor. We have had some additional home construction at the end of the court uh, in recent years that hasn't been caught on our aerial imagery just yet. Stonegate Manor is located in sort of a transitional point from some of the commercial and office developments located along North Saginaw Road as you move north into the neighborhood where we traditionally will see single family residential development more in keeping with the majority of Stonegate Manor. In terms of future land use designations in the area, we have a mixture. Uh, the subject properties are located in the city's medium density residential future land use category. Properties to the south are located in the commercial and office service future land use designation. Properties to the east and west have the same future land use de designation of medium density residential. And properties to the north are located in the city's low density residential future land use category. In terms of zoning, the subject properties are currently located in the residential B multiple family zoning district. Properties to the east, west, and a portion of the south are also located in that zoning district. Properties to the south are also located in the community commercial and office service zoning districts, where properties to the north are located in the RA1 single family residential district. The intent of our residential districts, which we have four, RA1, two, three, and four, is to primarily provide for single family and two family detached residential development. These districts differ in the minimum area density and building placement requirements. Um, generally speaking, RA1 requires the largest lots and the largest setbacks, whereas RA4 requires the least um, lot area and setbacks. These districts also permit a variety of related uses to the residential district classification that add to the richness and stability of neighborhoods. These are things like churches, schools, childcare centers, and the like. Uh, many of which the Planning Commission has seen come before it for approval in the past. So going through the review criteria, is the proposed amendment consistent with the city's master plan? Staff's answer is yes. The applicant's proposed zoning classification of RE3 single family residential is consistent with the expected uses within the future land use designation of medium density residential. Will the amendment be in accordance with the intent and purpose of the zoning ordinance? And staff's answer is yes. The proposed zoning would promote the basic intent of the zoning code by reclassifying the parcels as stated above in the city <coughs> zoning ordinance. Have conditions changed since the zoning ordinance was adopted to justify the amendment? And staff's answer is yes. The subject lots contain a deed restriction which limits development to single family dwellings and all development since the time um, that the development was created, save for the two lots that are excluded from tonight's petition has been for single family residential purposes. Four, will the amendment merely grant special privileges? Staff's answer is no. The proposed zoning is consistent with the zoning of surrounding properties. Five, will the amendment result in unlawful exclusionary zoning? Staff's answer is no. The proposed zoning will not result in unlawful exclusionary zoning. Six, will the amendment set an inappropriate precedent? Staff's answer is no. The proposed amendment is not grounds for an inappropriate precedent as the proposal aligns with the city's master plan. Seven, is the proposed zoning consistent with the surrounding zoning classification of surrounding land? Staff's answer is yes. The proposed zoning is in line with the zoning classifications of surrounding land, which I mentioned include RA1, single family residential zoning, and RB, multiple family residential. Eight, is the proposed zoning consistent with the future land use designation of the surrounding land in the city's master plan? Staff's answer is yes. As I noted earlier, there are a variety of future land use designations in the immediate vicinity of these properties which include low to medium density residential, office service, and commercial. Nine, could all requirements in the proposed zoning classification be complied with on the subject parcels? Staff's answer is yes. The subject properties meet or exceed the dimensional requirements 
of the RA3 zoning district, which is the zoning proposed. In 10, is the zoning proposed zoning consistent with trends and land development in the general vicinity of the property in question? Staff's answer is yes. The subject properties are single family dwellings. Existing developments to the east, north, and west are residential in nature. Existing developments along North Saginaw Road are primarily community oriented offices and retail uses and multiple family residential typically located along major corridors and very often located adjacent to single family development such as this. To date, we've received no public comments on the zoning petition. Staff recommends that the Planning Commission recommend to council approval of zoning petition 651 for the following reasons. One, the proposed zoning is consistent with the city's future land use map. Two, the proposed zoning supports goals of the city, city's master plan. And three, the proposed zoning is consistent with existing development in Stonegate Manor and will facilitate future development that is consistent with the pattern of use and development in the general vicinity. We're at the first step in the process tonight with your public hearing. Uh, upon recommendation to city council, city council will receive that recommendation on August 28th, and we would expect that they will set a public hearing on this petition for their meeting on September the 25th. With that, Mr. Chair, I'd welcome any questions from the Planning Commission. Questions, commissioners? Um, go ahead. I was just going to, we had a few other um, items that came before us on that drive. I'm trying to remember the details of that. Um, was it single family that were going in there? Sure. So we had a request uh, within the last year for a single family home, which at the time the RB, multiple family zoning district, treated single family homes as a conditional land use. And so that came before both the Planning Commission and City Council for a conditional use permit approval. We also had a home addition on Stonegate. Uh, court, Stormgate Drive rather, that was also subject to a conditional land use permit and did come before both boards um, for approval. Subsequently, the Planning Commission and City Council also considered a zoning text amendment to amend the RB, uh, Multiple Family Residential Zoning District, to shift single family dwellings from the conditional land use category to the principal uses permitted category, and that was approved. Um, I'll let the applicant speak in a little bit more detail, um, the applicants rather, on their uh, desire to still initiate a zoning text change to a single family residential district. They are here tonight to speak on behalf of their petition and can provide more details on that. And if I'm understanding correctly, the rezoning would actually be more restrictive in its uses than the current zoning, correct? It would. This is what we would generally describe as a down zoning where the uh, intensity of use allowed and the type of use allowed is less than the existing zoning district. But given that the, uh, would there be an opportunity for them to, either the individual property owner or the association to go back to RV multiple family? Any property owner can file a zoning petition at any time to the city and request that their zoning district be changed. Um, ultimately, that decision rests on recommendation of the Planning Commission and approval by City Council. Okay. Key being is the master plan still hasn't changed in this area, correct? Correct. Okay. Any other questions? All right. Thank you. Thank you. We'll invite the petitioner to present. There is one. I'm Gary Schaefer. I'm the president of the Stonegate <coughs> Condo Association. And um, thank you for considering this. Uh, we were here before with the problems of trying to put a single family home in. Uh, our, our bylaws since the 90s stated other than the first two lots, which were first two built, uh, one and 22, uh, state that we only want to build single family homes. Why they didn't 
petition to have that done at that time, I have no idea because I wasn't <laughs> here then. But uh, after the problems we had before and then discussing with Jacob, uh, you know, because the city zoning says multifamily, if somebody had applied for a multifamily in the lots, you would, you would probably grant them and then we would have a battle. And quite frankly, this is a defensive part on us because we, we do have all single family homes and we want to maintain that. So uh, we're just trying to get things right with what's going on there. And, uh, anybody got any questions for me? Questions? Um, and you did say that there's a, I think you said bylaw, but is there a, a deed restriction also in place? I'm not, uh, there's no deed restrictions I know of. I can speak to that. So Stogie Manor is a site condominium oh, development. Okay. So although functionally it's it's like a plan and subdivision, it, would have, it was approved through a site condominium process. And with a site condominium, you generally have a master deed and, and condominium bylaws that accompany that. And that's where this restriction comes into play. It will, to, to uh, validate the point raised uh, by the petitioner, the city does not implement or enforce deed restrictions. So you can have a deed restriction on your property. If that deed restriction isn't mirrored in city's ordinances, then the city's not in a position to enforce it. It would be up to the enforcement um, agent identified within the bylaws themselves. That could be the developer in some cases. They may be the property owners as an association. It's up to them to enforce those deed restrictions. So um, the point being that if someone were to come forward with a a um, compliant multiple family development project for one of the lots in Stonegate Manor. Admittedly, I think a very unlikely outcome, but nevertheless one that is theoretically possible. If they were to come forward with that development project and that development project complied with all the city's regulations, it would be eligible for approval in spite of that deed restriction. Got it. Thanks, Jacob. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, a lot of moving parts on this one, so I appreciate the clarification. Any other questions? Any other questions? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. We'll go and uh, welcome public comments on zoning petition number 651. Public comments or questions? Public comments or questions? Hearing none, um, Gary, do you wish to come up and make any final comments or rebuttal? All right. Go ahead and close the public hearing and go into deliberation. I'll start. I think it makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. I, rem I vividly remember the petition that was in front of us about a year ago and some of the complexity, I think maybe setbacks as well and some other things. So um, I think this aligns with the future land use, so I'd be in support. Commissioner McCoy, what do you think? Uh, I agree. It lines up with what's actually occurring on the properties. So there, uh, I agree with his. Um, petitioner's comment on it being a defensive move to potentially prevent a property or a home being built that does not align with the other properties surrounding it. So I fully support it. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. <clears throat> I would think that if there's a deed restriction and the association's already kind of come up with that, that it's probably restricting the development of those vacant lots. And so um, you know, it would make sense to um, Makes sense to change it. All right. 
Um, I'll go ahead and make a motion that we recommend approval of zoning petition number 651 to City Council. I'm looking for a second. A second. All right, we have a motion from Commissioner Kohlinger and a second from Commissioner McCoy to approve, recommend approval of zoning petition number 651 to City Council. Decro? Yes. Thomas? Yes. McCoy? Yes. Kohlinger? Yes. Griffiths? Yes. Panasic? Yes. Craig? Yes. Powell? Yes. Broderick? Yes. Mr. Chair, that passes 9-0. to zero. All right. Their next date is with City Council on the 28th of August, correct? Yes, to set the public hearing, and that public hearing will occur at the second meeting in September. All right. Thank you, Gary. Uh, we'll move on to our second public hearing this evening. Uh, so that is going to be site plan number 426. Right. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So site plan number 426 is for an Aldi grocery store on Bay City Road. The applicant is Design Incorporated on behalf of Aldi Incorporated. The location is 4801, 4813, and a portion of 4705 Bay City Road. The zoning for the property is RC Regional Commercial. And again, the proposal is for a 20,664 square foot grocery store containing 12,589 square feet of sales space. All right, so this is a large view of the subject property. Um, again, these two properties are um, Bay City Road and then this larger 4705 Bay City Road kind of extends along the frontage of Rockwell Drive. So there is some land division and lot combination um, associated with this project. The site is currently vacant. Um, it is on the corner, the northwest corner of Rockwell Drive and Bay City Road. So there's some natural vegetation there. The zoning for the property, like I mentioned, is RC Regional Commercial. There's some light industrial A zoning to the north. Um, some, uh, it's pretty much surrounded by RC Regional Commercial zoning um, to the south, east, and west. Um, there's some RB multiple family zoning further west. Um, and then there is a, actually some mobile home park zoning even further south on Rockwell Drive. Okay, so this is kind of hard to see, but um, this is the layout for the site. Um, again, the site is located at the corner, northwest corner of Rockwell Drive and Bay City Road. Um, the proposed development does have access or is proposing access off of Bay City Road. Um, here and then um, off of Rockwell Drive, uh, directly or across from one of the access driveways for Valley Lanes. So in terms of development or adjacent development, Valley Lanes would be on the um, other side of Rockwell Drive there. So the actual store itself is located on the westernmost side of the subject property. Um, parking is primarily located east of that. Uh, with some additional parking um, along Bay City Road. There are a couple of uh, curbside pickup spots proposed down here. Um, sidewalk is provided along Bay City Road with some pedestrian connection through the parking lot um, to the entrance of the building um, along Bay City Road as well as interior um, of the site here in this parking lot. 
Um, the bay or the sidewalk does not continue along Bay City Road and up Rockwell Drive, um, which we will need to see. Um, also regarding the sidewalks, a couple other things. The sidewalk will need to be continuous through the drives um, and then not include this detectable uh, surface here. So just some minor fixes required there. Um, in the, it's kind of hard to see, but on the southwest uh, corner of the property, there's a catch basin and that will need to be relocated uh, north of the sidewalk so that uh, proper drainage can occur there. Um, there is a proposed detention basin on the northernmost portion of the property. Um, this does uh, extend over into a proposed outlot. Um, so this is proposed to be a separate parcel. Um, so with this shared detention basin, we would need to see a legal agreement um, showing that there's shared maintenance uh, for that detention basin. It is sized properly, um, just kind of at a uh, high level view for both those properties. And then kind of furthering the, the shared access, um, this drive here that extends over this proposed outlet will also require a shared access agreement for um, vehicular ingress and egress. Let's see, this is another view of the property. So the, the site does include a lot of interior uh, parking lot landscaping, which is compliant with um, our landscaping requirements, um, as well as landscaping adjacent to the street. I do wanna mention the parking for the site. Um, so it is a bit over parked at 95 uh, proposed spaces. The minimum requirement for the development is 77 uh, spaces. So it's just over that 20% uh, um, maximum parking allowed. Um, so, the, the, the proposed Aldi is, um, they do include a possible future expansion area on the north portion of it. However, that is not included in this uh, review essentially. So that is where the, the parking spaces are just looking at um, the proposed Aldi here. Um, again, if, it's, if, if the parking, proposed parking is more than 20% of the minimum required parking, um, there is some provision that the Planning Commission can allow that. Uh, there just needs to be documented evidence that that additional parking is necessary. Um, so, and, and we have not received anything uh, for that yet. Um, let's see. So this is the exterior elevations of the proposed grocery store. Uh, it says side elevation, but this would be the view looking from Bay City Road, um, and then this would be the kind of the rear, it's a side, but um, if you're thinking north, uh, north end of the building there. Uh, this would be looking at it from that larger parking area, um, this being the entrance here, um, and then this would be the back side or the westernmost side of the building. Okay, so some outstanding items for site plan number 426. Uh, would include this land division and lot combination, sidewalks along Bay City Road and Rockwell Drive, including a pedestrian connection from Rockwell Drive, um, relocation of a catch basin at the southwest corner of the property, a revised photometric plan. Um, on the photometric plan, there was some, uh, what appeared to be some, um, some flooding over the property lines. The photometric plan did not include any of the um, property lines for that, but we have received clarification 
that it is compliant. So we just want to see that updated photometric plan. Uh, revised parking calculations, including the removal of a parking space in front of the proposed FDC. Uh, so the fire marshal has requested that a uh, that the parking space in front of the um, FDC is removed for safety reasons. Um, revised signage. So the signage as proposed is currently non-compliant. I'll go back um, to the site plan here. So there is a ground sign proposed um, at the entrance of Rockwell Drive here, um, as well as a proposed uh, ground sign uh, 20, 20 feet high here. Um, otherwise, um, I guess these, these ground signs would be compliant uh, if this was all one parcel. However, um, with this being proposed as a separate parcel, off-premise signage is not allowed. Um, there is a caveat for um, service um, off-premise off signage uh, being allowed on at the entrance of a driveway that services the site um, off-premise, that makes sense. Um, however, it would not be uh, afforded an additional ground sign. So overall, um, the ground signs for the proposed Aldi is non-compliant as shown. So we would want to see revised signage. And then details showing compliant driveway spacing from the Costco driveway on Bay City Road. So I'll go back again. Um, these driveways are spaced um, compliant with the uh, driveway spacing standards from the intersection of Rockwell Drive and Bay City Road. However, there is a driveway, um, the Costco access driveway off of Bay City Road is um, is not indicated on the site plan. It's it's really close, uh, but um, it's it's not quite there. We are working with the applicant to get those details and uh, kind of work out some of that space. There is additional space from this driveway here to the intersection, so there's some room to uh, make something happen there. Okay, uh, contingency items at this time that have been identified is a stormwater management permit. Um, which would also include that shared maintenance agreement for the proposed detention basin, a final soil erosion and sedimentation control permit, and then that shared vehicle access agreement um, to the satisfaction of the city planning department. Okay, staff recommendation. Uh, planning commission is recommended to not issue a final decision on the site plan until updated plans are received and reviewed by city staff addressing the issues presented. Uh, the applicant is actively engaged with city staff working towards providing those necessary details for site plan compliance. Um, okay, so tonight is the Planning Commission public hearing. Um, assuming that we do receive updated materials um, in, a, in a timely manner, we could uh, see this back to the Planning Commission uh, for their September 12th meeting. Um, a lot of the issues I think are um, being worked on right now, so I don't see that as being an issue coming back September 12th, but um, again, we'll, we'll see what we receive um, in that time. Uh, so no public comments have been received, and with that, I'll entertain any questions. Questions, commissioners, go ahead, yeah. Chance. Um, I'm sorry to do the calculation, but they're over the 120% or the 20% parking, but then there was a note of removing one of the parking spaces because it was in front of the uh, fire uh, department connection. How many spaces is that that they're over, roughly? Um, so, so they're with the proposed development, not including the um, expansion area, future expansion area. 
they are um, about 23% over parked. 23%. So from 77 spaces is the minimum required amount of parking that they're um, required to have. Uh, they're proposing 95. So right now it's at that 23% uh, increase over that minimum okay. parking. Okay, thank you. Does that 95 include the one that's being removed from the FPC? No, um, so it would be 94 if we receive site plan that shows that, uh, that, that being removed. That still has them overparked by two spaces. Correct. Dan? That would still have them overparked by two spaces. two spaces. Okay. That was my next question. Okay. I, I have one more. Um, I'm sure this is the, this is thought out here, but the, the location for the drive off Bay City Road in, um, in relationship to the intersection, I'm, I'm assuming that meets the criteria <clears throat> and the spacing. Um, what about like future developments across the road and that commercial? Is any thought given to that on where driveway placements would be with those developments potentially, or the kind kind of like first come, pick the location? Sure, to, <laughs> to, to some degree, um, we would. I mean, we always like to see the shared access, so um, where they're you know proposing one uh, to the east. Right. Um, Possibly there's, you know, the possibility of having one um, to the west, but uh, to kind of your point, it would be sort of that um, kind of however it gets developed. Uh, but there, but those spacing standards would need to be met for future developments. I was, I was considering like a cross Bay City Road, um, that commercial development. But. This, this property stops short, well short of the access drive into Costco. Gotcha. So we're everything across Bay City Road from this property is already developed as the Costco That's gas station. Okay. That's okay. All right, thank you. I have a similar question with the entrance and exit off Bay City Road. I'm just curious, given there's already an issue, if there was any consideration or even discussion at this point of having no entrance on Bay City Road, avoiding that curb cut and trying to do things all up Rockwell. Um, I guess I'll let the applicant speak to that. Okay. There, there has been some communication uh, fairly recently um, regarding the, the driveway location and some of the movements that could be proposed to kind of increase the, the inbound and outbound uh, traffic movement, kind of spread it out a little further. So creating um, an additional turn lane and then a separated um, inbound lane um, so it kind of gives it additional spacing, um, but uh, in terms of not providing that access, um, I'm not sure I'll defer that to the applicant. And we, since we received our packet, we have not, staff has not received any updated plans addressing any of the contingencies, correct? Correct. Issues, there's identified issues, right? Yeah, there's, there's been communication and so they're, we're pretty confident that we'll receive updated plans, um, but, but nothing yet, yeah. I think the last question I have is just, uh, I guess it's a general why about the outlot. Is it going to be a different order than Aldi, or is it? So, so the proposed outlot is um, going to be owned by Aldi, so it'll be common ownership, um, and it'll uh, need to be based off of the land division and lot combination um, that they're they're proposing. Um, but uh, there, I don't believe there's any plans to develop cool. it at this time. I'll defer that to the applicant as well. All right. For the lot splitting, on the map I see four parcels. Is that correct? I only heard three. So, so there are just three um, parcels 
This piece along Rockwell Drive is um, actually a portion of this larger parcel. So it kind of does, it's kind of got these fingers that come down to Bay City Road. Um, and that, so, that portion on the south is part of the right of way or? This, this little tiny piece here? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Other questions? All right, thank you. We'll invite the petitioner to present. Good evening. My name is Chris Jinkovich with Design Engineers. Uh, so appreciate the uh, presentation there, Ryan. It's going to make my job a whole lot easier here. And uh, I think I will just uh, jump into some of the items that have been discussed. Uh, the main item is going to be the parking itself. Uh, so Aldi has a standard uh, parking design where we always look to provide 95 parking spaces. And that gives us the ability to design the parking area for that 85 to 95% occupancy rate uh, for the parking spaces. Um, we've had several studies done before. I've brought a copy of one that we've done in the past for parking lot for this exact situation. We had a community that would only allow 46 parking spaces. And so we, were, we put the study together based on actual Aldi stores that are in existence, that are operating, what their customer counts are, you know, what our occupation or what the capacity of the store is throughout the day. Um, and we get to a point where we are right up in that range of 84, 85, 86 spaces are filled all the time during the peak hours. And so by having those few extra spaces, it allows the turnover rate so that customers have open spaces they can pull in. They're not sitting in the parking lot, waiting in line, looking for a parking space. You, you always need that little bit of cushion to provide for a turnover for customers coming in and out. Um, and we can certainly provide copies of the studies uh, that we've done in the past. And so that's why we always target 95. And right now, under the current calculations, we're allowed to go to 92. So we're looking for three extra spaces just to make sure that we have proper operation of the site. Um, most of the items that showed up on the review comments, we have addressed them verbally uh, as far as extending the sidewalks around Rockwell Drive. That's certainly not an issue. Um, we actually sent a survey crew out yesterday to locate the entrance to uh, Costco. Found out we're just about, uh, I think we're 13 feet shy, center line to center line. We need 630 feet. We're at about 613. Uh, we can make that adjustment and make everything work there with the entrance. We'll modify that, we'll make that work. Um, with the Bay City entrance, that is something we absolutely do need. Uh, when we look at truck, truck traffic and how the trucks circulate through the store or through the parking lot, we have to have that entrance. One of the main things you'll look at is on the site layout. It's very important for the truck when it backs into, better put my glasses on. When it backs into the truck wheel, that they're either backing in direct 
or they're backing in over their left shoulder. If we eliminated this entrance and the trucks pulled in, they would have to pull up in front of the store, back in over the right shoulder, which now they're backing in blind. And so we always make sure that we're set up for proper truck traffic. And that entrance is going to be key for that. Uh, as far as the outlot goes, one of the main reasons for obtaining this additional property is to be sure that we could provide that access to Rockwell. I think this is a key location where it's very, gonna be very important that we have two points of access. It's going to help with traffic flow on Rockwell, it's gonna help with tra traffic flow on Bay City, and it's gonna help with traffic flow through the site. So Aldi is purchasing that property, mainly for their own benefit to provide that driveway there. Um, property they don't need, but the driveway benefits everyone. And so with that, purchasing this property and then creating it as an outlot, it can be marketed for future development. Obviously, they would have to come in through site plan approval and go through that process. But then we would have a shared entrance here that could provide access. We've specifically set up the parking lot to not place parking spaces here so that that could be extended in in the future if need be, if it fit the use and provides just better circulation through this entire corner. So I believe that uh, really covers most of the key issues. I have material samples here if you care to see them, if you want any in input on the building itself. Be more than happy to provide that. Uh, it will be a steel framed building with a masonry exterior. So everything will be low maintenance, longevity, and uh, designed to be as attractive as possible. Uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, any questions, petitioners? Uh, you mentioned um, 95 spaces is what you guys are after. Uh, after the spaces need to be removed um, per the fire department, would you be looking to add those spaces elsewhere for our consideration? Yeah, if we're going to eliminate one in front of the FDC, which would be right about here, which we could certainly do that, then we would probably relocate it here on this bank of parking. Um, Additionally, I may have to remove one here in order to fix the driveway alignment and spacing to Costco. And so that space would also go there. We would look to maintain that 95 if the planning commission is willing to approve that. So follow up question on the parking. So I understand the 95 is your standard and um, it sounds like your ideal. Um, is that, like a return, is that just curious? Is that non-negotiable? Do you? build all these that have less than 95? We'll take more. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there are stores that have less. You will be able to find them. Uh, but it does affect operation. Okay. And we do see that. So we always push for that 95. It just makes everything work a little bit better. You know, there's always going to be a couple of spaces you're going to lose in the winter. Uh, so when we get into snowplow, you can get the best drivers, the best truck and you're still going to end up with snow in some of the corners so you lose those spaces and that usually comes around christmas time and when things are a little bit busier so we try to take that into account as well um do you have now you said you've pulled some data on that parking from similar communities we've got an aldi already in midland um does that one have 95 parking spaces is there data on the usage of that aldi that we could see 
Boy, it's been a while since we've done that store, but shooting from the hip, I believe that store is about 113, maybe okay. 116 spaces. Okay. Um, and then I know it was mentioned that as a part of the entrance on Bay City Road, in addition to now needing to move it back, it sounds like at least 13 feet, um, is there going to be consideration for um, splitting that entrance and giving a dedicated um, space for people to enter as opposed to exit? What we are looking at doing is maybe widening the entrance to 36 feet. Uh, currently, it's a 30-foot entrance. If we go to 36 feet, then we can have a left mound out, a right mound out, and then a single lane inbound. Okay. And I think the only other question that was raised during the presentation was moving the signs from the out lot. Um, certainly possible. I guess I should touch on that a little bit further. So we have the two signs proposed, the monument sign on Rockwell, which is allowed due to the shared access. And we are working with a sign company right now that was originally shown as an Aldi only sign with the intention of modifying it for the outlot user, um, which is what the ordinance allows is for all uses on that shared driveway to utilize that sign. Uh, just to make sure that we do comply with the ordinance, we're going to have, we have the sign company working on a modified drawing to show that future panel for the outlot. Uh, the second sign we're proposing is down here on the front of the outlot, and the intent there was for that to be a shared pylon sign. Uh, we looked at the fact that all these allowed a pylon sign, the outlots allowed a pylon sign. So we felt it was in everyone's best interest to combine those into a single sign with two cabinets on it and not clutter up the scenery quite so much. Um, so that was our intent there. Uh, we would prefer to leave that sign on the outlot as a shared pylon sign. Um, if there's a way that it can be approved through the ordinance or through planning commission discretion, uh, we think it is a benefit for the community, but uh, if it, can't be approved that way, then uh, I guess we'd have to move that back out of the Aldi site and make it an Aldi only site. Other questions? Is that, yeah, is Go that ahead. something in our consideration with this sign on the site plan? We'd want to come back with an updated sign package. We'll do a review internal on whether it's conforming or not, and we can discuss it when this comes back before the planning commission. Okay. okay. Other questions? All right, thank you, Chris. Thank you. Well, welcome public comments now. Steve Arnosky, uh, 2518 Brookwood. I'm also city councilman. I'll ask my questions now because I'm going to ask them later anyway. Um, the questions I have that I would like the Planning Commission to make sure to consider, uh, I couldn't see the map that was held up as far as truck deliveries are concerned. What's the flow through the lot to make sure that that makes sense? Uh, where would be the location of the uh, dumpsters? You know, you've got eventually you have neighbors and other developments, so where is that location relative to where for future development will be, and is there a further enough setback, or will it be perhaps up against the Savant property, and that will be an area where they won't really care? Um, and then have you given consideration to the Bay City Road exit uh, uh, to having a right turn only so you don't have people pulling out and going cross traffic left because as this area eventually develops that's a potential problem and have people exit uh, if they're not going 
towards Midland, if you will, have them go out Rockwell instead. And then maybe the other question I have as the presentation was presented is, uh, I guess I'm surprised all you didn't move it forward, move their whole uh, building forward towards Rockwell Drive so that you don't have this sort of outlot situation. Uh, but maybe the question for the applicant then that I would have is, could you consider doing that and not having the, the Aldi pushback that takes care of the sign issue you have on the corner and some other issues? So that's it. Thank you. Gary Becker, resident of uh, Midland. Uh, I'm wondering with the parking in that, what allowances have been made for handicap parking? They generally take up more space in a regular parking lot, and Midland, even at the big box stores, is woefully deficient in handicap parking. You can end up for hours going around the parking lot if you wanted looking for a a handicapped parking lot to come free, we have a parking space to come free, and I was just wondering if any thought has been given to uh, how many handicapped spaces there will be available in the parking lot. Thank you. Gary, could I get an address from you real quick? Gary? An Can I get an address for you real quick? I'm sorry. Excuse me, I just couldn't. Get an address for you real quick? Yeah, uh, 2108 Rumpel Court. Thank you. Other comments or questions? Other comments or questions for site plan number 426? Hearing none, I'll invite Chris to come back up if he would. Had a couple of questions at the very least. We'd appreciate some answers too. Well, we will start with the truck flow. So the intended truck flow is the trucks are going to be likely coming from US 10 and are going to come down Bay City Road. They'll enter the site uh, by right turn from Bay City Road into the parking lot along the front of the building or the side of the building. Heading up towards Rockwell, they will head back into the truckwell. And then exiting, they would exit straight out to Rockwell, which allows them to do a right turn exit, and then head to the traffic light. And so that is the intended truck route path. Uh, as far as the dumpster location, the dumpster is proposed to be in the truckwell itself. This is a recessed truckwell. It's about four feet deep at that particular point where the dumpster is. And then we do propose a screen wall, a four foot high screen wall at the top of the retaining wall for the truck well. So we'll have at that point almost eight feet of screening at the dumpster location. Um, as far as Bay City Road being a restricted access, uh, we are not proposing that and have no intent of proposing that. Um, with the traffic signal there, I think it allows plenty of uh, queue time for cars to exit to the left. Uh, with widening of that entrance to provide that dedicated left out lane from our site, I think that will significantly help that situation as well. Outlaw placement. Ah, 
Very good comment. Uh, we did look at that. We've looked at moving the building here. Uh, what it does is we're, we're really set on where this driveway has to go because there's an existing driveway across the street. And we have to align from that. So if we take everything across, then it creates a situation where our truck traffic does not work and we can't back up into the truck well properly uh, based on our analysis with our trucking program. And, you know, you could put the outline on the back, you could put the store on the front, but we have a truck problem here and it also creates an access problem here. It takes away our ability to have that shared access at this point because now if we bring this forward, it brings that driveway into a situation where it becomes either too close to Rockwell or offset in our parking lot and then we have a lot of snaking around with the trucks. So that is why that was uh, actually shot down. We did look at that, we drew that up and decided it was not the best option. Um, in regards to the ADA parking spaces, we are proposing eight, three, or I'm sorry, four ADA parking spaces, which is in line with the ADA requirements for 100 or less parking spaces, or 75 to 100. Anything else? Any final comments? Thank you, Chris. Um, so, Ryan, just a quick question from me. Um, the question regarding the dumpster um, that was noted on the site plan that was reviewed by staff being in the truck well, correct? Um, I don't know if it was included in the staff report. Uh, typically, um, they will, uh, will, will include that in the screening item on right. the uh, staff report. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that was probably uh, an error, but um, yeah, screening it has been reviewed and um, is compliant um, in regards to the dumpster um, and then even the dumpster enclosure, all of those uh, details are compliant with site plan requirements. And then the four ADA parking spaces, that is um, compliant with the city zoning ordinance, correct? That is correct. Okay. Um, I know we're not rendering a decision this evening. Um, do we have the possibility of um, tabling this indefinitely until the information comes forward? Staff will put this on the agenda when we have updated site plans that are, okay. are ready to approve with whatever contingencies, uh, reasonable contingencies remain. All right. Any last questions, commissioners? I think was the handicap question answered? Yes, oh, there are the four ADA parking spaces. Okay. That's what I was checking for. Okay. Thank you for double checking. <coughs> Any other questions, comments? All right, we'll look for this on our another agenda. That concludes uh, our public hearings this evening. We'll move on to old business, seeing none. Uh, then we'll move to public comments. Um, we typically reserve this portion of the agenda for items that are not on the agenda or unrelated items, um, but I'm gonna take a guess that the majority of you who are still here are um, interested in our next topic, which is the Ashman and Rod Straits two-way restoration. Um, so I'm actually going to open up public comments. Um, I know we don't have to, but would like to hear public comments um, on Ashman and Rod Streets. So. No, we will not. We're gonna do public comments this evening um, uh, during this portion of our agenda.
So if, if there are public comments that uh, would like to be made on Ashman and Rod Streets, I would welcome those um, at this time. Um, would ask that uh, we continue to be respectful of everyone's time um, and uh, um, have our comments be concise. And if you have heard someone give a public comment that you agree with, um, if we could avoid repeating, um, that would be great as well. So I will go ahead and. I have a public That's what this time is for. So feel free to come on up. We'll need names and addresses for everyone, please. It won't take um, I'm Jill Stazak. I live at 2009 West Nelson Street, and I'm here to speak briefly about short-term rentals in Midland and looking at zoning for short-term rentals, specifically in the um, single-family residential neighborhoods. Um, the neighborhood that I live in is zoned residential one, single-family. I've lived in this home nearly 20 years, and I learned a couple of months ago that my next-door neighbor had listed her home on Airbnb to be available for rental during the six months or more while she resides in her other home in another state. Um, I was not happy to hear this, and the common response from the handful of neighbors that I spoke to was that's not good for us. Um, our driveways are very close together. I thought about the number of strangers that would be coming and going and what that would look like, and the first thoughts that came to my mind were privacy, safety, security, and property values. So I started doing some research and we learned that we do not currently in Midland have any specific zoning language regarding short-term rentals or Airbnbs. Um, in Article 14, which we brought up before, it talks about um, the residential land use would contribute to the richness and stability of neighborhoods and uses that would interfere with the quality of single-family residential life are prohibited in these districts. And then when you get down to Section D, conditional land use, the only thing close to short-term rentals or Airbnbs at that point is bed and breakfast, and that's addressed in that section currently, but it says it has to go through city council and the recommendation of the planning commission to get approved. So that's what, unless I've messed up on my research, that's what I found so far. So um, what I'm encouraging is that zoning ordinances were not needed for short-term rentals almost 20 years ago when the current plan was established. And when I because they didn't really exist. Yesterday I googled Airbnb Midland, Michigan and approximately 20 rentals within the city limits popped up. And so I believe now is an appropriate time to create zoning language regarding the short-term rentals. And I understand there's a new plan coming out as well, so I'm just here to encourage you to look into this um, because they are popping up and they seem to be popping up all over the place. So, thank you. Thank you, Bill. Any other public comments unrelated items on the agenda, then we will move to public comments on Ashman and Rod. Any additional public comments unrelated to items on the agenda before we move to Ashman and Rod? All right, we'll move on um, and welcome public comments um, in relation to Ashman and Rod. Just need a name and address and get started. <clears throat> Uh, my name is Tom Bailey, and uh, my address is at 1203 Holyrood in town here. I'm a semi-mostly retired CPA. Uh, I own business property just next to the, or part of the center city segment of property. I just wanted to speak on the Ashman Rod conversion. Um, I have notes because I have a tendency to leave my brains on the chair when I get up to talk. So. 
I hope you'll bear with me. Um, well, thanks for the opportunity to speak, and a lot of people are going to be talking, I know, and so try to keep in mind that acknowledge everybody brings their best interests, uh, best intentions to this discussion. But um, the thought that the conversion regarding Ashman and Rod from uh, to two-way uh, is going to make uh, the people drive slower and the streets will be more bike and pedestrian friendly. Um, that's one of the thoughts or, or advocate thoughts about the conversion. The other one is that, I've, that I've read is a confusion in navigation uh, problems. Um, will, it will reduce that confusion on that and because of the one-way streets and how hard it is to get around in town. And that second point, I just wanted to say that, you know, whenever I go to another town, uh, even little teeny towns, uh, I typically bring a GPS with me or a map. Um, and I think I'm think probably most people do that anymore. Um, and beyond that, you know, it's worth noting that our other two cities in the area, both Saginaw and Bay City, do have one-way streets uh, that, that run in and out of, out of town. Um, the proposal, as I understand it, is to convert two three-lane one-way streets to two two-way streets with one lane each way, um, and possibly, I don't know, adding a center lane for a left turn. I'm not sure. Oh, I haven't heard one way or the other on, on that. Uh, so that's a decrease in traffic service of about 33%. And it's hard for me to believe that that's going to cut down on congestion and make things safer on the streets for bikes, pedestrians, kids, etc. A second observation might be that if this won't cause too much congestion, then maybe we don't even have a problem as the traffic isn't that heavy to begin with. Um, however, I think there's a strong problem that this solution uh, is going to turn out to be unworkable and will probably then be followed by a proposal to convert one or both of the streets to four lanes. Um, a better solution would be to increase the signage on both Ashman and Rod Street to, uh, for those from out of town to help them find their way back to the circle area or, or downtown to the Buttles, Indian Street and downtown areas. Um, and then a radical proposal, um, I would change the East Ashman interface at center at the circle, open that up so that you can turn directly to the east off of the circle. Um, it's worth noting that East Ashman is two-way all the way to Cambridge Street, and then for some inexplicable reason, it turns into one way to come into the circle. It would cost very little to just change your signs and put some stripes down there and allow people to turn uh, onto, the, onto uh, eastbound Ashman from either direction, and it would really open up um, traffic in, in one, one of our uh, individuals that spoke of how confusing it is and how difficult it is to get to the northeast part of the city, and that would certainly uh, potentially uh, solve that problem with very, very little cost. Um, so in closing, I just say I, I've read that the cost here we're talking about is up to $3.8 million uh, for this project as it stands right now. And if my theory holds and we end up having to add, go to one or two four-lane projects, uh, $3.8 million would be a drop in the bucket. And I would submit that this is a solution in search of a problem. 
and spending $3.8 million is a lot of money. Uh, I think it's worth remembering that this type of money is often referred to as OPM or other people's money. Uh, however, it, it's really our money, and I don't think it's a very wise use of our funds, which could otherwise be directed to fixing other streets in town um, or possibly even not being spent. Okay, thanks very much. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Yeah. Yep, one at a time. You just need a name and address to get started. Hi, my name is Carla Castellanos. I live at 616 Chatham Drive here in Midland. Um, my, I just wanted to speak after him because I just recently, there was a letter, I wrote a letter to the editor and it was in this morning's paper, I think. But it absolutely follows what he said. I am a, I am a um, retiree. I've been watching this with some interest because I attended a meeting that I think it was from all of you early in the summer about what the five-year plan was and asked for input then. And I suggested, I spoke, I filled out all the forms. I said, well, let's be more modern. Let's, um, let's put in some EV chargers downtown and attract people that way. Even an uh, electric bus from downtown to the center to the old circle or central city might be a nice idea. But as a taxpayer, I just can't see any sense in this proposal. Um, I've been driving on these streets. I haven't been driving them, but I've been on these streets for 70 some years. It makes sense the way it is now. Um, I used to drop my kids off at Central Intermediate. Um, I've attended St. John's Lutheran Church. I've attended the uh, Presbyterian Church there. I cannot imagine, and, and they have functions all week long. They're not just on Sunday. I cannot imagine the traffic flow in and out of those buildings. Children have to cross those streets. Two-way traffic just doesn't make sense. I came down Ashman today to come here, and there are people standing in the street while they trim their, their lawns. Um, so I don't want any of my tax dollars. Uh, you spend them any other way you want, you know, trying to make us more progressive, but this is not a progressive idea. This is a waste of my money. Thank you. Thank you, Carla. Uh, as we're getting started with the next one, I've heard uh, concerns about cost mentioned a couple of times. So if you agree with the concern, please uh, let us know. But uh, please also let us know your additional concerns as well. So blue mat and then an, an address to get started, please. OK. An address first. Name and address, yep. OK, name and address. I'm Roberta Bridgebush. I've lived here for. Um, have been on these streets for 70 years. I remember very well when the streets were changed from two-way to one-way, or to, to one-way. And it was a little bit confusing for us to get used to, but there was a reason why it was done. It was done because with that many streets coming through both ways and um, some at odd angles, because of the fact that the circle streets are not parallel like the rest of the street, the streets that come from the circle. Do you understand what I mean? Okay, so anyway, there were a lot of accidents all the time coming in and out of those side streets. And I just think that to go back to that 
the way that it was 60-something years ago is not a wise judgment on, on our part, regardless if somebody else was going to drop the money out of thin air. And I think there are a lot of things that, that the money could, I mean, the roads need to be repaired anyway. They're not in all in great shape. But um, that's what I think. Thank you. OK. And I agree with her. <laughs> Show and tell there. Good evening. My name is Carol Arnosky. I live at 2518 Brookwood Drive. I've lived in Midland for 32 years. I was an accountant at Dow for 20 years. I was an accountant for almost 20 years for Dow Chemical, and then a small business owner for 10. I'm now retired and, re and um, volunteer at several local nonprofits. I've watched every city, every city council meeting for the past nine years, so I've watched three planning directors with their presentations. <laughs> Everyone's a little different. Um, I read the uh, Midland Daily News, both online and hard copy. A shout out to Midland Daily News. <laughs> um, I tell you all this because I feel I'm well connect connected in the community and I'm very aware of what happens in the community. I also believe that a person cannot complain unless they also do something. So here I am before you, stepping way out of my comfort zone and doing public speaking to talk about the Ashman Rod conversion. Um, Mr. Smith showed me how to use the uh, camera. So I have made a little presentation. <laughs> I'm going to start with three, three quotes. OK. Um, a little more than two months ago, Mr. Kane at City Council said it's not a problem. Oops, right there, it's not a problem. He also said, it works just fine, not premised on it's a, if it, that it's a problem, it falls short of identifying a problem, and it's not dangerous. This is all in reference to the Ashman Rod conversion. Okay, with regard to the $14.5 million, million riverfront development, Mayor Donker said, people have said they wanted that. This was based on 356 community comments, just 356 comments. So it was passed by city council, spent $14.5 million. I made the font really big, but clearly I didn't need to. Um, so with regard to the $3.7 million Ashman Rod conversion, I guess this is my quote. People have said that they do not want that. This is based on over 200 comments that were from the city e-survey that I hope you all read. I'm going to send Mr. Kane. I cut and pasted all the comments into, into one document along with a lot of other links, so I'll send that to him tomorrow. Numerous letters to the editor, which I displayed on my little display board here. <laughs> uh, Midland Daily News articles, including the August 11th one that said Ashman Rod residents say no. They interviewed Isabel, interviewed a lot of Ashman Rod residents. Hundreds of Facebook comments, and also A recent poll, informal poll, and Facebook still, two days it took 1,400 people to vote 
82% voted to retain one ways on Ashman and Rod. It's 1,145 of our neighbors, our community. This was not an anonymous poll. Names were included with votes, lists of names, including a diverse array of community members, including Dow retirees, my Michigan employees, the Midland County Sheriff, a Midland County Commissioner, a prominent attorney who has an office on Nashman, um, a DDA member, teachers, young people, old people, 1,145 people, 1,145 of our fellow citizens are saying, keep the one ways. Okay, my last little quote. Per the consultant, this will cost taxpayers $3.7 million. There's been no supporting data or cost breakdown. Mr. Kane said that, and it was quoted in the Midland Daily News. I know there's a new talking point about $500,000, but I just, you know, it's a talking point. So I was hoping to present this after Mr. Kane's presentation, which I've seen four, four or five times. Um, uh, let's see. Um, he, he provided the source documents. I said, Will you please let me know the documents where you got all this information from. And he nicely, nicely provided it to me. And um, so here's my presentation. If you know Paul Harvey, this is Ashman Rod Conversion, the rest of the story. I, like I said, I wish you all had seen the presentation first. Hopefully you've seen it. It's been presented four times or so. Um, but when I saw it, I thought, well, gosh, that means all these, all these studies, all these years have really focused on the Ashman Rod conversion, and they talk a lot about it, and they're really gung-ho for it. When I went through them all, that was not true. <laughs> um, the first one that he referenced, not picking on Mr. Kane, I'm sorry, but first one he referenced, this is the 1958 um, Major Street Plan. I know it's unreadable, I can't read it, you can't read it, but it was part of the documentation that supports, in quotes, the Ashman Rod. Next is, and, he, and then in the July 10th meeting, the night, there were conversations in the 1960s and 1970s, which there was no documentation for, and I know most of you weren't around then, so I don't know where this information came from, but I couldn't find a document for that. This is the 1988 Midland Downtown Plan. Um, the other thing about all these studies, um, like this one was 48 pages. This was basically the only thing that talked about the Ashman Rod. And it says, Ashman and Rod Street serve as the one-way pair that links downtown to the urbanized districts of Midlands and should remain intact to serve this function. It also referred to these straits as a direct link and an important link. This study primarily discussed updating downtown visibility and identity, parking, streetscape, and waterfront. It does not recommend two-way for Ashman Rod. The next one is the Circle South Saginaw Road Commercial District, 1991, 40 pages. This, as far as I could tell, was the only item that mentioned Ashman Rod. I don't know if it was redacted on purpose or if it was just uh, in, you know, whatever. Um, but what, is it, what I could read, it looks like two-way modification is likely to increase the risk of traffic delays and accidents. As a result, this modification is not supported by the city's consulting traffic engineer. Also in the rest of this is traffic patterns are identified as, quote, difficult. But again, this study does not recommend two-way for Ashman and Rock. Uh, then there's the Midland-Ashman Circle Enhancement Plan. For 2002, this is 48 pages. Again, just a couple pages refer to Ashman Rod. Um, 
I know it's hard to read, but right there it says, um, uh, convert Ashman to two-way north of Nichols was recommended. No change to rod. This study primarily talks about a modern roundabout, um, enhancing signage, parking, facade improvements, public streets, et cetera. And this one from 2010, this is just a general policy. This is complete streets policy. Again, provided as a documentation about that it was you know, pro Ashman Rod. It doesn't mention Ashman Rod at all. You guys okay? <laughs> um, so City of Midland Master Plan, Chapter 6, 2016. I won't read this all to you. Hopefully you can look it up again, 15 pages. They talk about the one-way pair. Potential, I, I highlighted the words like potential, potential, carefully where the way the potential advantages and disadvantages of changing. Um, the main thing, one of the main things, each end of these corridor sections will be a key issue. I don't think enough information or enough emphasis has been put on the circle. That's going to be a big change if you change that. Um, and then it also indicates that the Ashman Saginaw Jefferson issues in green, current capacity analyses and indicate that the intersection itself is operating within acceptable levels, even during peak hours. Um, this was, this was one of my favorites. <laughs> I watched the video and this says, okay, the, it's called Midland DDA, support of one way to two way video from 2016. Um, there was a fellow and I don't have his name, but he, they, they had an online survey, it had a workshop of about 120 people and about 300 people talked to this on, online. Um, if you just look at the four options, leave Ash, Ashman and Rod as one ways, expand sidewalks, or leave them as one ways, add bike lanes, or rethink McDonald to include a bike track. Basically, those three are saying, we want you to keep the one ways. The only one they want to change it is the two ways. As you can see, <laughs> if you add up, leave Ashman and Rodway as total, or leave Ashman and Rod as one ways, the total, you got 77%, 61%. And I have the two columns of blended. Just as, as I said, I was an accountant. The blended was incorrectly done. So the actual blended, which is correctly done, shows 72.7% of people do not want to change it. And interestingly enough, ever since then, this is 2016, there's never been like an official poll from the city of Midland asking if you want to change. You can do the answer. Uh, the DDA phase one redevelopment plan. Um, the green, all options provide acceptable traffic operations and safety performance. Again, 34 pages. This was one page, and I just, the other 33 pages discuss the streetscape, which of course has turned out very well. I think Stephanie Richardson does a really good job with the, with the plantings, and, and it's just working well. But again, just very little about the Ashman and the options provide acceptable traffic. Phase two, um, the study is only for the downtown blocks and to Indian. It does say, these are all quotes. I don't know if I made that clear, but these are all quotes from these studies. The number of one-way pairs in the downtown street provides efficient access um, to and through downtown. The conversion could work either independent from or coincidental to the conversion of the northern parts of, portions of the street. So basically they're saying, if you want to do downtown, fine. Doesn't matter what you do with the rest of the street. This is the Circle Center, Center City Redevelopment Plan 2019. Um, 57 pages. <laughs> it's primarily about the roundabout and Saginaw Road. There are two to three pages referencing Ashman Rod. 
sorry, it keeps getting crooked. I know it's hard to read, um, but the factors, this is one way to two-way conversion factors to consider. Basically, bike, bike facilities, it's better with a one-way. Pedestrian safety, it's better with a one-way. Vehicular safety, it's better with a one-way. The only thing it has, it, one-way streets go faster, but speed is something that has already been talked about. There's other ways to fix that. Uh, there was a Midtown Zoning Planning Commission memo, 2019. There was two pages. Um, it, it really didn't say anything. So it said the potential Ashman and Rod two-way restoration, but there is no follow-up. But again, this was submitted as part of the documentation to support it. Uh, up here, this was interesting. Um, a typical vehicle was found, was found to need only about four minutes to drive the corridor in the morning rush hour and about 30 seconds longer in the evening rush hour. So we're talking about four minutes. <laughs> Getting there. We're in 2021 now. <laughs> um, City of Modern, uh, City Modern Master Plan update transportation modes. Um, there was no mention of Ashburn Rod converge, conversion specifically, but interesting and honest answers from 399 people. This sort of side 96% drive alone. 82.2% um, say it's easy to get to places using personal vehicle. 77.3 say never a problem or sometimes a minor inconvenience. You know, 41.4% identify the condition of road as barriers, and so there's, that's one place you can use to spend the money. Um, this is a memo, just kind of real fast to talk, respond, uh, pertaining to that study. Respondents, it comes from the Midland staff report to the Planning Commission for the meeting in 2021. Um, Respondents cited the case of uh, the ease of getting to destinations in the city when driving and that traffic almost is never an issue. Um, all right, so then these are, this is the most recent study, I believe. This is uh, the October 2022 um, analysis examines the impacts of changing both roadways from one way to two way over their entire lengths. Uh, so, Using the red and green, <laughs> the two-way traffic will result in more conflict points. They have, and this is from that study. Drivers may have modestly increased weights. And then in the green, the one-way streets can provide simplified crossings uh, with pedestrians primarily concerned with risk coming from a single direction. As we know, Central Park Elementary is there. <clears throat> that big church is there. Um, emergency response plans are typically optimized for the existing roadway. Maintenance. You know, the guys drive down the, down the, down the road one way. Um, multiple lanes in one direction offer the potential to close one lane for repair with minimal disruption to the remaining. Um, the modification of the traffic pattern provides, sim again, similar operational results, acceptable levels, similar, acceptable. And then here's the $3.7 million again. And this, this is, again, one of my favorites. <laughs> Hopefully you've seen this. This is the the table. Um, if you look at it, <laughs> uh, the one ways, I put little check marks next to the ones where basically the one way is, is, is better. This is from their, this is from their, their study. The one ways are better with uh, acceptable operations, adequate, you know, quick movement. Again, the only thing there was an issue was the speed, and I don't think we've done enough to try to slow the speed. Actually, one of the studies had listed several ways to slow the speed but that's never been included in any of the um, presentations. The last study 
was, uh, it, kind of funny, it was April 2023, Midland's Perfect Pizza. It was the pizza and planning activity. Uh, I'm sure it was, again, it was provided as one of the um, documents that supports Ashmanrod change, but I could not see it anywhere in this. Maybe it was in with the pepperonis, I don't know. So, all right, well, so you can see I spent a lot of time going through these, through these documents. Um, and you can too. They're kind of interesting and it's fun to see what they want to do with the circle, the roundabouts, and that's kind of where, what they need to figure out. Um, so um, to summarize, again, there's not a problem. It works just fine for our planning director. And the old adage says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, the cost of $3.7 million will come from taxpayers like you and me, come from my children, from our parents, from the schools indirectly. Um, but there's no supporting data as to how this will be spent. So in my opinion, it would be fiscally irresponsible to support the plan as is. The gentleman who was sitting next to me um, was going to advocate for bike lanes, which right now there's no bike lanes. I understand there may be bike lanes of some sort. But if you could spend $3.7 million on bike lanes and make it a really cool city to have really cool bike lanes to get anywhere you want, that would be something that people could get behind. Um, the conversion has not been supported by the majority of the community for many years, 2016 and, and obviously up until now. Most recently, over 1,500 people are on record and have expressed their disagreement. While Midland may have some problems, this is just one-way pair is not one of them, nor will a two-way Conversion, bring new people to the city. I am sure that no one is leaving Midland or coming to Midland because we have these one ways. And as the gentleman said, I mean, we've been driving around a lot lately. You use your GPS and you get around. You can get there. Uh, finally, as a fellow citizen of Midland, I thank you all for serving on the Planning Commission. I know you were appointed to represent the community view, the community members. You can provide checks and balances on what the city planning department brings forward. You are in your chair because you are asked to critically evaluate what is being presented and ensure that nothing is misleading or incomplete. And to provide an unbiased opinion and or advice to the City Council. At your August 8th meeting, uh, in response to Mr. Collinger's question of do we decide if can it be done or should it be done, Mr. Kane said that City Council's ex expectation is that it, they will try to get a recommendation related to if you believe it should happen. So, I mean, can you, can, you can tear up the streets, you know, mess up everybody's yard, you can do it. But should you do it based on, again, everything that's been in here, what's been happening, what the people are saying? Um, well, I hope I have added pertinent information to help in your discussion, provided additional details and sources for you to investigate and share the overwhelming feed, uh, community feedback received thus far. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. <laughs> Good evening, my name is Diane Middleton. I reside at 1267 West Midland Road. That is an Auburn address. Uh, so I, I don't reside in the city. However, this evening I'm speaking on behalf of the Midland Business Alliance. Uh, the MBA is a combined Chamber of Commerce and Economic Development organization. And we speak collectively on behalf of 3,000 plus businesses throughout Midland County. 
and we advocate on issues that have the potential to impact business in the community. Um, and the potential conversion for Ashman and Rod from one-way to two-way traffic is certainly an issue that we are interested in. We support the conversion of these streets from one-way to two-way traffic. Uh, we have outlined the reasons for that support in an official resolution after the issue went through our own internal uh, vetting process. Uh, the city council has that resolution. I know that Mr. Kane has that resolution as well. I won't go through that point by point. Um, however, I would like to sum it up by pointing out that the restoration to two-way traffic is another step towards modernization of the center city, midtown, and downtown. And we consider that, along with a number of other initiatives, as critical in creating a welcoming, attractive, high-quality uh, type of a community and and that's important for keeping the workforce that we have for attracting um, New workers to our community new residents to our community um, Growth of our, our workforce and our residents as well is is something that's going to continue to be important That's a key issue for the entire state of Michigan, and it's no different here in Midland. We're not losing population quite as much uh, as some other neighboring communities, but it is something that we need to be concerned about. And we see this conversion as, as another piece of the puzzle in creating that quality of life. Um, in summary, I would like to say that we truly appreciate the work that has been invested by the city planning department, uh, by Mr. Smith, Mr. Kane, and um, researching this issue and uh, going back um, in the archives and, and taking a look at previous studies, previous conversations throughout the community about this. Um, you've done a lot of work on, on this project and, and I think it's warranted and I, I know that City of Midland residents and taxpayers expect that. Um, we certainly appreciate a, a strong vetting process at the Midland Business Alliance. We appreciate that the City of Midland does it consistently and uh, we encourage you to keep that up and look at this issue from all sides so that you can make an informed decision. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Other public comments? Go ahead. All right. I'm not as organized and well-researched as some. My name is Jan Lanter. I live in Midland 5811 Stillwater, 4642. Um, retired sometime professor at SESU. Um, I'm basically just speaking from my experience as a bicyclist driver and walker. And um, I find it easier to navigate crossing, getting onto the, the, the current situation of one-way streets. We have only a couple of one-way streets, um, the, the Ashman and Rod ones, and then the, the Indian Buttles 
stretch. And in a town of this size, that strikes me as a very reasonable way to do, deal with main arteries of traffic. From my experience in trying to get across Eastman on my bicycle is um, I try to avoid it at all costs. I don't have any reaction like that with Ashman and Rod. And so, I mean, adding, adding yet more two-way streets and the, the, the statements made about people, it's friendlier or it's more attractive, I, I find mystifying. So I guess I need to be educated on that because most places I go, there's places, that, you know, like I've been to Ann Arbor, there's some one-way streets there. I, there's one-way streets in most cities that I know of. It doesn't seem like it's a negative thing. It's a, a reasonable response to having uh, higher volumes of traffic and connecting connecting the, the, the city center to, to the circle area. And I think Eastman, it would be better if Eastman were some way, if there were a way to devise a, a way to not have it be um, two ways, but I don't see any way to do that. I mean, I'm just, I just, I'm just going on my own experiences with driving and, and um, I, I'm hesitant to come here. I have not had good experiences <laughs> trying to speak to um, commissions of any kind because uh, it just seems like this, there's, there's some, some view of we need to change things because, because we're tired of it the way it is and let's change it. I, w I was before, the co before COVID and I went to city council, I went to the meetings about the rod and buttles and the road diet and stuff and it was just something that um, never seemed to end no matter who showed up or what you said, it's just, it kept trying to happen. And so I'm a little pessimistic coming up here and talking to you. And I want you to know that I am not a stick in the mud. <laughs> I've been here 35 years. I was not in favor of that uh, traffic circle idea on business 10. And because I've had two really bad experiences with traffic circles in my life, but I have to admit that making that change was in fact a good idea. I like the addition of bike lanes that we have and we maybe need more, but this thing of one-way switching the one-way to two-way rod and Ashman just seems nuts. Sorry. Thank you, Jan. Gary Becker, uh, 2108 Rumple Court. Uh, I'll be brief. Um, in case you guys haven't noticed, you're a fairly young group of people here. Uh, I'd say maybe mid-20s. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the uh, industrialized world has been growing in more and more it's been growing older. It's an aged population that we're dealing with. Um, and as a businessman for 50 years, business is in everything. You have to take other considerations. And in the conversion of the two streets, I cannot believe that you can find stats from NHTSA that says it cuts down on head-on collisions it cuts down on, on collisions, T-bone collisions, side, uh, front end of the side of the vehicle. I just don't believe you can find those stats. And as somebody who's going to be entering the senior year soon, I know that at night when it rains 
and it's dark out. Two-way streets are a bad idea for older people. The, big, the automakers have this fetish for cars with brighter and brighter lights, and the population as a whole is getting less and less considerate of the rest of the population. And sometimes trying to get those people to dim those lights is next to impossible. They won't do it. Absolutely refuse. And what happens is you get a blinded senior citizen going down a two-way street, you're going to have a head-on collision. And the head-ons are the worst type. People die in head-on collisions. So you're going to put the money, $3.7 million somewhere, put it out in the mall area. Put it out where you have all that congestion, where you've got traffic coming off from 10, got traffic coming from the, uh, from the, from the mall, you got traffic trying to get out of Midland to the, to the suburbs, and it's a mess. And if you really want to clean up a mess that I think the people of Midland would be grateful for, take care of that mall corridor and do something there with $3.7 million. Get the best traffic engineering firm you can to increase the flow and make the flow of traffic out there better. Don't fool around with Ashman and Rod, please. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Gary. Hi, I'm Jackie Moeller and Hopefully this board will listen. Um, I didn't think I would be up here again talking about roads, but after the Indian and Buttles debacle, never did I think that Ashman and Rod would ever come up. And my husband grew up across from King's Daughters, so he lived there when it was a two-way street, and he said putting in the one-way streets was one of the best things that ever happened to those roads. So I know the last meeting I attended, it was the Center City business people, and they were all concerned because they think that they'll get more, their businesses will get noticed more. But I'm on the road an awful lot, and by going up and down Rod Street and Ashman and looking, those aren't the businesses that you choose to notice. One of them is an accountant. One of them is a counselor. You know, we all know where the coffee shop is and where Dan Dan the mattress man is. So therefore, if it's not to help because we're not having more accidents on it and it's not just to beautify then it's time to spend our money on roads that have potholes that my car is going down into and spending the money more wisely instead of just for beautification. That can come at a different time when it's needed. Thank you. Jackie, I didn't get an address for you. I'm sorry. Jackie? Address? Yeah, oh, sorry. I live in the county, 2684 Ashby Road. Thank you. Can I come back up a minute? Sure. With my address being said, the people in the county should be more concerned even than the people in the city because anybody coming over the bridges 
you know, whether it's the Poseyville Bridge or the M20 Bridge, we have to use Indian, Buttles, Ashman, and Rod, whether we're going to the grocery store, whether we're going to our doctors, whether we're going to the hospital. So don't poo-poo because someone stands up here because they're not a city resident. But there's one other thing. The Indian and Buttles Road is MDOT roads, so that'll get paid for by the state. They need to start being honest with the people and telling the people how these Ashman and Rod's gonna be paid for, and that's with taxpayers' dollars. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. Well, John Elson, 6106 Georgia Creek Parkway. You've all seen me before. I've been up here talking to many times and at the city council, you know I'm up there many times. So I've got a pretty good reputation. And I wouldn't say it's good. I would say it's a reputation, okay? <laughs> and um, and I, that's because a lot of things I talk about are things that are not agreed to by a lot of the members of the city council. And I know that because every time they vote, they vote against what I didn't want to do. So it's okay. I mean, that's part of life and you know, I figure that we all have to have something. And I, and I feel sorry for him because if I were sitting in your chair and somebody was speaking to me and always criticizing everything I was doing, yeah, it wouldn't be very much fun. In fact, I've worked in businesses where I planned $100 million wells where I have to defend every step I made and to my only, not only my company, but to peer groups that were within my company. They have to explain it to our partners, which maybe had 50% of the cost and have to defend myself all the time. It gets pretty tiring trying to defend yourself against everything, but it's something that needs to be done because there's things you learn when you do it. It's called you know, teamwork. At the end of the day, you end up with a decision that all agree with, okay? And that's the most important thing is you agree on a plan and you can stick by that plan. And even though maybe I didn't get everything I wanted to, when I drilled the well, I tried to drill it as safely as possible, at the lowest cost as possible, and as fast as possible. That was the objective, that was the goal, and this is what you guys should be doing the same kind of thing, same thing you wanna do, you wanna get to the goal. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, there, I, I don't know very many of you. I know some of the city council people, I'll tell you the truth, I like most of them. Not all of them, but I like most of them on the city council. And I think, um, I mean, it's not, it's not a job you're getting paid at. None of you guys are getting a dollar for a, thing, a single thing you're doing up here. How do you turn this thing off anyway? I hate to see my... <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, thanks. Off. Where's off? <laughs> okay. There you go. All right. Anyways, so yeah, it's it's uh, it, it, so most of the people I like. I mean, I actually like them. I don't agree with everything, and I don't have to agree with me. That's not the important point. It's not a personality thing because you can still like somebody. You can have you know, my best friend is completely different than I am, but I still like him. You know, we still get along. We just have we're both pragmatic. I guess we have that in common. You know, so. <clears throat> but the thing about it is, when you get to decisions like this, this is a big one. It's just like the one lady said before, there was the road diet. That was a big controversial issue in Midland. I don't know how many of you were around and listened to all of it, but there was a lot of objections to that. Now they're getting to Ashman and Rod. There's a lot of objections to it. 
There are people like the Biz Midland Business Alliance that are for it. Of course, they're, they're a, a company, they're, they're a group of people that are what I what I call uh, self-interest. They have self-interest in this, okay? They're, they have only one vote, just like every one of us has one vote. Sometimes when you say Midland Business Alliance, you think, okay, that's thousands of people, 3,000 businesses. Well, I can name five businesses in this area that you're talking about, Rod and, Rod and Ashman, that don't want it, okay? So it's only 2,995 now, okay? What I'm trying to say is, when you get to decisions like this that are controversial, there's only one way you can win, and everybody will win that way. You vote on it. You put it on the ballot, you put it on, and you vote on it. That's the way you, you, you can't lose when you vote, okay? The thing is, if I got my way, you, the city council people could say, okay, uh, they voted on it, I'm sorry everybody else, but that's the way, that's the way that people voted. If it was the other way around and the, and the people wanted to make a two-way roads, well, you know, what would I have to say? I'd be arrogant, I'd be self-centered, I'd be elitist, because my viewpoint doesn't go along with the people. So the most important thing, when you get to controversial things like this, where there are different opinions, there's only one way you can win, and that's to vote on it. Thank you. Thank you, John. Hi, Steve Arnosky, 2518 Brookwood. I'm also a city council member. It's good to see all of you. I don't often come to these meetings. I watch them on TV. I haven't seen any of you come to my meetings. I'd love to have you come and maybe you'd get a better perspective because you're supposed to be providing advice and recommendations to us. Um, I know you're all volunteers. You're all selected by members of the city council, and you're out there to represent various parts of the community. And you sit on this board, and you, like the city council, get a package of information. And that package of information is prepared by the city staff, and that's what you get. And that's most of the time the sum total of what you make your decision based upon. City council's the same way. And that works for the most part. We, I saw earlier today, you know, I came here because I was interested in the Stonegate people that are in my ward. I support what they were asking for. You guys took the right steps. Thank you. Um, but sometimes it's not just following to make sure that the planning department, Jacob or Ryan, you follow the steps the correct way and you ask some questions. That's, that's part of it. But sometimes you have controversial issues where members of the public speak out, and you've heard examples of them some of them today. This, this is one of them. And this is where I'm asking you, as your role, to go beyond the sound bites and the packages that you're delivered. We get it delivered by staff or by the city manager. You're getting it by you know, planning department staff. You have to go out and do a little bit of work on your own. I know this is involving you know, things that you're not being paid for, but when you've got this much controversy, you deserve to spend more time on it and go out and, and double check things. Don't take things at face value. You know, sometimes you get half truths. You need to find the whole truth. Um, I'm related to a lady who was here earlier who presented a lot of other data about things that were cited in support of changing things from two ways, <clears throat> supposedly to one way or one way to two ways. And what you saw is there's more to the story in each one of those documents. So. It's gonna require some work by you to kind of validate things, go out and double check the, the, the documents for yourself that were reported, go out, talk to your neighbors, talk to other people, so that what you do 
reflects what this community wants. Okay, so that's it. Um, good luck with your decision. Hopefully you come up with a good recommendation for us on city council uh, so that we don't have to make the decision. All right, thank you. Thank you, Steve. Additional public comments. Uh, Andrew Kosick, 1015 Rod Street. Um, actually didn't come here planning on saying anything at all, but um, since I'm uh, in the minority, I figured I'd speak up. So I do actually support the conversion. Um, it's a decision I think a lot about in question. Uh, you know, it's hard to know what something would be like, you know, when you change it. It's, a, it's an unknown. Um, but I uh, can say, living on Rod Street there, uh, I view it uh, through the perspective of what will the area look like in 10 or 20 years. And I think of it more as a neighborhood. Uh, interestingly, my perspective is, uh, I can say, it like has nothing to do with traffic. I, I don't care the cars. I mean, I would toss out, you know, every other road in town is a two-way. People can figure it out. It'll be okay. Um, and I see potential for the Midtown calling area to be a real growth center for this city over the next, you know, uh, 10 to 20 years and turning those two streets in something more conducive to a, a neighborhood um, seems like a very good idea. And I know with the school, um, and with um, uh, other uh, things around there, there are some concerns about how that would look. Um, but I do have a fair amount of faith in the ability to two ways and uh, uh, skinnier lanes, skinnier spaces to calm traffic in that, in a way that would likely not really bother those school crossings all that much, having crossed two ways when I was a kid going to school. So um, I think it would, in the long term have a net benefit to the area um, in making it have more potential for bringing in more and denser housing over time in the surrounding vicinity. And uh, that is why I actually support the two-way conversion and I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Rick Finney, 2016 Rod Street. I do not approve of this. It, uh, it doesn't make much sense. Lived there for 33 years. Don't have a problem. Uh, but I believe that it's going to be changed because you're all going to already made a decision. The, the city has. Because if you leave right now and go down Rod Street, and when you get to Indian, they've already painted the lines on the street. You cannot go straight on Rod Street anymore. You have to take a left. They've already put the arrow in the road. I don't know why they didn't extend the arrow to go straight across. That tells me it's going to be changed. I'm opposed to it. Thank you. Thank you. New public comments. John Oxley, 2300 Burlington Drive. The thing that bothers me about this whole thing is that we never have had a problem 
identified that has to be fixed. And if you're going to spend $3 million, you better be fixing a problem. Things are working fine now. The money can be spent a whole lot better someplace else. Thank you, John. New public comments. New public comments. Hearing none, we will go ahead and close this portion of our agenda. Appreciate everyone's time. Um, I'm seeing that it's close to 9 o'clock. I'm going to do a brief five-minute recess, and we will reconvene for the remainder of our agenda. Five-minute recess, please.
We are reconvening this regular meeting of the Midland City Planning Commission. Um, and we are moving on to the next item on our agenda, which is uh, new business. We have one item of new business this evening. It is the Ashman and Rod Streets two-way restoration. Um, as we get started, um, just a quick reminder um, to the commissioners that uh, this is new business. Um, this is informational purposes only this evening. We are not making a decision. We're not even gonna get into deliberation at this point. So wanted to hear the public comments that we got. We're gonna hear from staff now as well. Um, and uh, uh, we'll move on from there. So again, no decision or deliberation this evening. Um, with that, we'll go ahead with our presentation. Thank you, Mr. Chair. And I too just wanna echo tonight, uh, some things you won't hear from me is a staff recommendation. The purpose of tonight is informational to provide you with background on why this item's even on your agenda, to give you some context for a future meeting where you will receive a staff recommendation and be asked to make your own recommendation forward to city council on this issue. Um, I'm also not gonna be rebutting any public comments for tonight, save one. I just wanna point out I am being paid to be here tonight. Uh, so I know there was a comment about no one being paid, I'm getting paid, so, uh, and I appreciate that very much. So uh, with that little bit of humor that didn't land, I'll move on <laughs> into, the, <laughs> into the presentation and keep my day job, uh, which is paying me. So uh, a little procedural history of how we arrived at tonight, just the, the recent history, and then we'll jump um, a little bit further back. So back in January of 2022, at their annual retreat, City Council provided general direction to staff to prepare an RFP to look at traffic flow impacts that would result from restoring two-way traffic on Ashman and Rod Streets. So in February of 2022, City Council received that draft RFP and authorized its release. And in May, City Council authorized the selection of OHM advisors for that project, which included looking at potential disadvantages or advantages of the road options being considered. In December of last year, City Council received the OHM report and at the same meeting authorized staff to issue a new RFP to complete the study of the area, uh, primarily looking at providing opportunities for public uh, participation and engagement in this issue and developing design recommendations related to the restoration of two-way traffic. In February of this year, PM Blau Incorporated, which is a private consulting firm out of Grand Haven that does a lot of work for the city of Midland, primarily in our parks and recreation areas. They were selected to complete that additional corridor study work. In June of this year, results were presented to city council and at their first meeting in July, they referred this issue to the center city authority, the downtown development authority and to you, the planning commission for review and recommendation. And so that's the part of the process that we are situated in right now. So with that recent procedural history, we're gonna jump into our time machine and travel back to Midland circa 1950 uh, and beyond and look at a little bit of the background on why Ashton and Rod Streets are designed the way that they are today. So in the 1950s and really leading out of World War II, the city of Midland experienced significant growth in population and also in vehicle traffic. This is a trend that's not unusual or unique to Midland necessarily, but Midland did grow pretty drastically during this first decade following World War II. A 1953 annexation into the city resulted in Midland becoming the fifth largest city by land area in the state, which is a title we still hold to this day. Rapid growth in Midland was primarily to the north and east. So if you think about the areas beyond Saginaw Road, these were areas that were not heavily developed prior to that 1953 annexation. And as we moved through the 1950s, those areas began to see some pretty tremendous growth. Midland's population in the decade of 1950 to 1960 grew by 94.5%. 
We haven't experienced growth like that since that time. So the population jumped to 27,779 residents as of the 1960 census. So with that context in mind, with the city's uh, rapid population and traffic growth, the planning commission, so your predecessors, um, went out, hired a consultant to create a master street plan for the city of Midland. And so that is the master street plan that you saw earlier tonight that's also included on your screen. The idea here was to address both current and expected future traffic flow issues around the city. It recommended a variety of changes to the city's street network. So if you consider the context of the time, this is before US 10 as an interstate freeway existed. That was just a proposal at that time. So US 10 in this era was Saginaw Road. The business route into downtown didn't exist. The Grand Curve didn't exist. Um, we are just a few years after the creation of the Jerome Street Bridge. So we're just in the aftermath of M20 traffic diverting from the Curry Parkway Bridge over to the new M20 Bridge um, onto Jerome Street. And so uh, contextually, uh, it's a very, very different place. This is where this is the origin of the idea of Ashman and Rod Streets becoming a one-way paired network. So ultimately, all of the recommendations of that major street plan the Ashman Rod one-way conversion was the first item implemented, and that was implemented in October uh, 1st of 1961. At the time, this was a controversial issue, so the Circle Businessmen's Association, uh, a, a name you likely won't ever see again uh, very much of the time, that group came out in opposition to the conversion due to anticipated impacts to their businesses in the Circle. And we'll see time and time again, the Circle area is really where a lot of the opposition and a lot of the discussion about these streets has started and continued um, through today in terms of looking at the future of these corridors. During this era, so coming out of that major street plan, there were a number of other changes that were implemented on city streets related to concerns about traffic flow. Those included removing on-street parking from many major streets around the community as well as from Ashman Circle. So at the same time that this one-way pair was implemented, at that time, only Saginaw Road actually cut through the middle of the circle, so that green space that once existed. With the conversion to one-way traffic on Ashman and Rod in 1961, the city actually closed that cut through and required all traffic to begin using basically the rotary of the circle to circulate through Ashman Circle. Um, so that was a change that then was undone by a later city council action. There were reversible traffic lanes on Washington Street south of East Ashman to Dow Chemical. So at portions of the morning rush, there were actually extra lanes headed southbound into the plant. And then the evening rush, those lanes were reversed and you had extra lanes heading northbound out into the neighborhoods. And then the other existing one-way pair network that remains in the city of Midland is the Indian and Buttles uh, one-way pair that was created just a year later in 1962. So community traffic circulation has remained a topic of significant focus beyond 1958. There's been various proposals to address traffic um, in the community. These include a potential underpass through Ashman Circle on Saginaw Road, a bypass loop network around the circle, some of which you can sort of see remnants of this concept at play with Cambridge and Nelson and Nichols and some of the streets that um, service the businesses in the circle area and the creation of a potential Washington and Swede one-way pair network. So some things that didn't come to fruition, but that were discussed in response to concerns about future traffic flows. 
So we have identified back to the beginning that there were limitations with this potential one-way system that was implemented. And then we've seen that over time, there's been discussion and identification that one-way systems do create issues uh, for particularly businesses in the community. So the first of these references is from that 1988 Midland Downtown Plan, which talks about ease of movement and orientation within the downtown area. It's complicated by the one-way movement patterns which overlie the traditional street grid. And as was noted in the earlier public comment, one of the changes that was implemented following this 1988 Midland Downtown Plan was the conversion of some downtown streets from one-way traffic to two-way traffic, including McDonald Street. In 1991, the city did a study of the Circle and South Saginaw Road Commercial District. Um, I, don't, I think I can be blunt. We all know that the Circle is strange. There's not a lot of places in the country that have something like this. Um, strange doesn't have to be bad, but it is different. It does create challenges from a traffic flow perspective, from a business visibility perspective, from a pedestrian circulation perspective. It's just different. And so unsurprisingly, the city's invested a lot of time and energy into trying to figure out ways and strategies to optimize this area. And I say optimize very strategically because there's no quote unquote fixing this, there's no perfect solution. It's all about what are your priorities and how do you make this system work best for what those priorities are. So I'm gonna highlight some of those uh, reports and plans and studies that have been conducted uh, beginning with this 1991 project. In that it identified traffic circulation as a major issue for what we then routinely called the Circle District in Midland. Business owner surveys identified difficult traffic patterns as their primary concern for the Circle area. Two-way traffic on Ashman Street was the number one suggestion for improvement to traffic patterns and circle access in that same survey. And ultimately this plan did recommend restoring two-way traffic on Ashman between Cambridge and Mertz Streets. So basically from in front of Kroger up to the current end of the one-way pattern at Cambridge and East Ashman. So just 11 years later, the city conducted the 2002 Midland Circle Area Enhancement Plan. And this is a quote from that plan. What was once a center of community activity is now more a place people pass through. Streets are designed as one-way bypass routes and traffic signals have been added. Disjointed and clashing streets confuse uninitiated drivers and access to businesses in the commercial district is difficult. Some business owners feel these cumulative layers of fixes accommodating those traveling someplace else with little thought about the livelihood of those live, work, and shop in the circle. So there was a SWOT analysis conducted as part of the public engagement for the Circle Area Enhancement Plan. And I think, you know, you all know the SWOT analysis is a consideration of strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats to the district. Through that analysis, it was identified that turning Ashman into a two-way street was the second most popular opportunity among the participants in that project. And that was just behind landscaping improvements. And I think we've done a pretty good job um, there and elsewhere in the community of addressing landscaping. Participants' top priorities were improving traffic circulation, improving pedestrian access, and improving uh, improvements to structures and businesses, so the actual facilities of the businesses themselves. So again, a quote from the, project, or from the plan. On a daily basis, the streets conflict with desires of people trying to get from one place to another. Drivers and pedestrians fight traffic controls built over the past 35 years. People should not have to work so hard to navigate the circle and shop owners should not rely on their customers circumventing the web of public streets to do business. There's a strong desire by the community to address past traffic changes for something more responsive to their needs. So 
due to the strong public support, all three design alternatives that are included in the 2002 Midland Circle Area Enhancement Plan, including the design that's identified as the preferred alternative. So basically, of those designs, which design do we feel has the strongest support, best meets the objectives of the plan? All of those scenarios, including the preferred alternative, indicated that two-way traffic would be restored on Ashman and East Ashman at the Circle, so basically within the Circle District. Again, this is a plan that's looking at the Circle District in isolation, and based on the results of that study, they recommended that conversion in that location. So as was noted earlier, the city of Inland currently operates under our adopted master plan, which dates back to 2006-7. Within the recommendations of that plan is a nod to Ashman and Rod, that's already been covered tonight. And that again is just to periodically look at the advantages and disadvantages of making this restoration, which is what we are actively engaged in doing. And this is just a call out of those specific goals that are contained within the plan as it relates to Ashwin and Rod, as well as the circle area. So in 2016, as you all know, the city undertook a downtown streetscape planning process. This plan was ultimately adopted by the DDA and by city council and has been implemented in part, primarily through our fantastic Main Street streetscape, which you'll see a picture of there. This was, again, a plan developed with significant public engagement with an emphasis on downtown business and property owners, and it's been partially realized through that Main Street streetscape. That plan recommends restoring Ashman and Rod Streets to two-way traffic within the downtown district. Again, this is a plan focused on the downtown district, and so its recommendations are limited to that district itself. That recommendation is supported by professional traffic modeling that was conducted as part of that planning process. They concluded that the current traffic levels of service would be adequately maintained if two-way traffic was restored on both streets. So it basically did for this part of the corridors what the future study by OHM also did and came to the same conclusion that study did, which is that based on the modeling, adequate levels of service are retained under a two-way conversion scenario. It further identified benefits of two-way restoration for downtown making it easier for visitors to access downtown from Indian and Buttle streets, improving safety by addressing current issues with wrong way traffic on downtown streets, helping motorists more easily navigate downtown streets, supporting economic development by increasing business visibility and access, and increasing the visibility and use of the Larkin parking ramp, which is shown in the picture on the screen. And for those of you who don't know, and I, I think we, uh, we know at the city that the Larkin parking ramp often isn't utilized as much as we'd like it to be, to access the Larkin parking ramp, you actually have to travel northbound out of downtown, or I guess that would be northeastbound, out of downtown on Rod Street. It's not directly accessible from the business route on Indian and Buttles, which is, of course, how many people from uh, beyond the downtown area access downtown Midland. So in 2018, the planning department conducted a midtown design charrette, which was aimed at looking at the area generally around Ashman Plaza and Grove Park. More than 30 residents and business owners attended that event and concerns with safety, speed, and access uh, based on the current design of Ashman and Rod Streets were voiced by those in attendance. So again, just another touch point where this issue has arisen from the community. In 2019, the Center City Redevelopment Plan was uh, yet another uh, look by the city at the future of the Ashman Circle area. This plan was adopted by the Center City Authority and City Council and it considers traffic flow patterns through Center City, including Ashman and Rod Streets. 
This, of course, builds upon those earlier studies, including the most recent 2002 plan for Ashman Circle. Both design alternatives that are presented in this redevelopment plan that, again, was adopted by the city consider the potential uh, conversion of Ashman and Rod Streets, and both are uh, possible, feasible as a result of this. Again, on the basis of traffic modeling, so the consultant here also modeled traffic conditions with one or two-way patterns of traffic, not knowing what the ultimate policy uh, recommendation of the city would be, and in both cases, one or two-way traffic, both alternatives. One shown here, which is a roundabout alternative. The other alternative is more comparable to today's conditions with a signalized intersection at Ashman and Saginaw. Um, either case, both ways are feasible. And then finally, most recently, the city adopted a 2023 riverfront redevelopment plan that was also referenced earlier. This plan was developed knowing that this conversation on Ashman and Rod was obviously happening concurrently. And so it's been developed with an anticipation that two-way traffic is possibly going to be implemented on Ashman and Rod streets. And it is feasible to do that implementation and not impact um, this plan negatively or positively. Same goes for maintaining the current <laughs> traffic patterns. So, those patterns, whether they're maintained or changed, wouldn't have any impact on this proposed plan. So I mentioned earlier, part of this most recent phase of analysis of the corridors has been the OHM traffic flow analysis. And as you'll note, many of the plans that have been conducted to date on Ashman and Rod Street have been centered on either Center City Midland or Downtown Midland, and not really focused on the corridors in their entirety. And so this was an opportunity to look at flow impacts throughout the corridor. Of course, there are many important uh, community amenities and facilities that are located outside of Downtown and Center City that are accessed from these corridors, including Central Park Elementary, multiple churches, adult uh, care facilities, et cetera. Uh, this is a traffic-centered study. So this was a study that was asked to look at traffic flow impacts of the one-way, basically looking at traffic flow in the current design, one-way pairs, looking at alternatives that would include two-way traffic. It analyzed those scenarios and it considered both the pros and cons and the cost. So these are the scenarios that were analyzed, existing conditions, which is the one-way pairs, two-way traffic with a center turn lane on both corridors, two-way traffic without a center turn lane on both corridors, and a two-way traffic combination, so a center turn lane on Ashman, but not on Rod Street. So the Ashman findings, there were comparable levels of service, so this is basically a measure of how traffic flow and delay uh, is experienced at intersections, was comparable between existing conditions and the evaluated alternatives. Ashman and Carpenter, the existing level of service is D, the alternatives, all of which are two-way traffic, actually reduced delay at that intersection. Ashman and Saginaw generally has a level of service of C or D, depending on the approach. The alternatives redistributed that delay, so basically some intersections that were C became D, some that were D became C, but otherwise is comparable to today's conditions. The ROD findings found that there was comparable level of service between existing and evaluated alternatives. All of the existing conditions operate at level of service C or better, and C is sort of the benchmark. I know if I'd have come home with a C in high school, my parents would have been very angry. But a C from a traffic engineering standpoint is kind of what you're aiming for. It's not no congestion at all. It's not open free flow. It's basically an acceptable amount of delay that you would expect at a typical urban intersection. And again, all locations operate at level of service C or better under all of the evaluated alternatives. OHM was also asked to estimate the cost of restoration, and they estimated that at $3.7 million, 
They did not provide, as was noted earlier, any supporting data or detailed cost breakdown. In fact, earlier tonight, you basically saw everything that was presented on cost was those couple paragraphs and this number. So we're left wondering what, where did they come up with $3.7 million? As best we can guess, and that's having no background information, it appears that they're arriving at their number somehow by including costs related to the three projects that are listed on the screen, which is phase two of the Second Harvard Streetscape project north of Dartmouth, which as you know, phase one was south of Dartmouth and was just completed or is being completed right now. Phase two of the downtown streetscape plan, which would include uh, reconstruction and new amenities on Ashman and Rod streets within the downtown, so basically south of Indian and MDOT's reconstruction of Business Route 10, which includes those intersections at Ashman and Rod Streets. Six of the 11 signalized intersections along these corridors are either part of that Saginaw Road project or the Business Route 10 project. So those costs are basically baked into those other projects already. Future design steps would include evaluating whether the remaining five signals along the corridors. So these would be the signals at Carpenter Street, at Nelson Street, and at Rod and Jefferson are still warranted. So traffic signal design basically relies on basic engineering principles, which looks at whether or not any sort of traffic control device is warranted. There's a series of tasks you can do to decide if something is warranted. Some of those are based on traffic flows on each street. Some of them are based on safety, um, clearances, other issues. Based on the traffic flow information contained in the OHM report, it appears that some, if not all, of those five signalized intersections actually don't meet a traffic warrant and wouldn't under an alternative where there was a conversion to two-way traffic. And so that would have to be studied to see if those costs would actually be incurred. The OHM estimate also likely included removing some of the existing slip lanes along the corridor. So as you know, as you're traveling north eastbound on Rod Street today, there's a slip lane, which is basically an alternative sort of our off-ramp onto Jefferson, as well as the slip lane that accesses East Ashman from Cambridge, and the contraflow slip lane, which is in front of the Law Enforcement Center, where you can turn against traffic to access Nichols Street. Um, none of those changes are necessary to restore two-way traffic flows. All of those elements could remain as elements of the street network. They could be partially closed, or they could remain open and still function as slip lanes for two-way traffic. Um, but we think that that's probably part of the cost that they've included in their in their budget. The city engineering department, which this is how we routinely estimate costs as it relates to the city's capital improvement plan, estimated that the project costs for this project would be less than $500,000. So that's looking at the incremental additional cost of the, all the projects that are listed earlier, we'll talk more about those later, of having a two-way traffic model here as opposed to a one-way traffic model and all of the incremental costs of the basically the in-between space. So those areas between Saginaw Road and Indian where there wouldn't otherwise be um, signage striping or signal impacts as a result of those other projects. To give you some context, because I don't know about you, but $5 to me is a lot of money. So when you think about things in terms of your household budget, $500,000 sounds like a lot. This is about 1% of the city's current six-year budget for major street projects. So just that major streets page of the city's capital improvement plan, this is 1% of that. So when we're talking about what are we trading here, we're talking about about 1% of our six-year budget for major streets for this project. Those project costs would include striping, signage, and traffic signal modifications between Indian Street and Saginaw Road. So we're talking about basically repainting the lines on the road, which is something that the city of Midland does periodically anyway, replacing or changing out signage, so removing one-way signs, removing do not enter or wrong, wrong way signs, 
and installing the appropriate signage for two-way traffic where we might need additional stop signs or the like for new approaches. Um, and then signals. So if you look at the signals, pretty intuitive. Currently we have arms providing signal heads for one direction of traffic. With a conversion, we would need arms facing the other direction so that we were able to control traffic in that direction as well. So that was sort of phase one of the recent part of this project. Phase two was what we called corridor conversations. This is the activities that PM Blau was engaged with um, to assist the city. So the public engagement side, there were five community conversation open houses held. Those were held back in April at the Law Enforcement Center and at the Northwood Idea Center downtown. Those included several exhibits and handouts to provide context for this project and to answer some of the common questions that we've heard. And there were approximately 150 people that attended these sessions. If you haven't already, and I'll just throw this out there for in general, we do have a project page for this project. It's cityofmidlandmi.gov forward slash Ashmanrod. Take you right to the page. You can see all the materials that were provided to the public at the Community Conversations Open House, and I think you'd find a lot of them interesting and helpful in terms of providing context. You'll also find all these other documents that were referenced tonight, um, including the master plan and some of the earlier plans for downtown and center city there as well. Following up on those community conversations, there was an E-City Hall community-wide survey in May with a total of 213 comments. And we also were invited to host a uh, Midland Business Alliance Issues and Answers event. So this is something that they do on a regular basis to bring important topics to light for their members. That was held in May. They actually opened that up to the whole community. Um, it was virtual. We had approximately 20 attendees. These are just some photographs from that process. So you'll see um, some of the community interacting with some of those materials at the Law Enforcement Center. Um, we did mail a postcard mailing to property owners along and adjacent to the corridors as part of the outreach to let people know that these events were happening. Of course, I'll give my shout out to the Midland Daily News. I, you'd be hard to miss if you read the paper that these conversations were happening. Um, but nevertheless, we did go to that extra step to make sure that people were aware. And then at the top right, you'll see some of those additional community materials that were provided through the open houses which included some renderings to give people an idea. I think one of our uh, earlier speakers kind of attested to the fact that it can be hard to visualize things. I will admit I'm not a terribly visual person and that can be a struggle when you're a planning director. My spatial skills are not always solid. And so having visuals helps me and it certainly um, helps a lot of members of the community to see what this would actually look like. And so those renderings were produced at a variety of different locations along both corridors to give people a better idea of what this might look like. So coming out of that process, there were a variety of themes expressed through the public input. The origin and rationale for the project was a big question that we received, people just wanting to know why is the city even considering this? What the impact would be on non-motorized transportation facilities? What the impact would be on traffic flow? What the construction impacts would be, including project timing and phasing? We had a lot of folks come out and want to know if we were moving curb lines, if we were going to remove trees, if this was going to involve months of major construction. And of course, if it, it's not obvious already, the answer to that is no. We're mainly talking about paint and signs. This is the, for the most part, obviously, second off road phase two streetscape, downtown streetscape and business or town are gonna be major projects with major disruptions. And whether or not there's a two-way conversion, those projects are likely to happen. The conversion steps within the corridor itself are the kind of thing that usually happens in, incrementally 
with maybe a partial lane closure to include the new signage or to take out any existing signage. Typically new signage is put up and it's bagged. So you literally just put a bag over it so it's not visible until it's the right signage to show. And then in the course of a weekend, you go in, you paint the lines, you remove bags from the new signage and you put those same bags over the old signage until you have time to come through and remove those signs that are no longer needed. So that's really what we're looking at in terms of construction impacts. Um, unless we decided to go forward with any of the slip lane removals in the future, which again would be relatively modest impact, um, not a full reconstruction of either corridor. In terms of public service impacts, so how would this impact the ability of the police and fire departments to respond to emergencies? How would this impact the city's activities, including solid waste collection, things like street sweeping? Traffic safety, the relationship of the project with other projects. So we had a lot of people come out that were interested in phase two of the Saginaw Road streetscape people that are interested in the reconstruction of Business Route 10, which includes Indian and Buttles, people that are interested in the Downtown Streetscape Plan, and also those that are affiliated with the Riverfront Redevelopment Plan. And then, of course, we had a lot of questions about what was gonna come next. We also had a question about, during this process, about what alternatives have been considered uh, by the city. And so, prior studies have primarily focused on benefits or opportunities that exist from creating two-way traffic on these streets. Uh, they've primarily looked at it in isolation, as I noted earlier, either looking at the downtown end of the corridor or the center city end of the corridor. This process is the first time we've really looked holistically at these corridors since the 1958 major street plan. The OHM study, as I noted earlier, considered four design alternatives. The renderings for the community conversations basically blended those alternatives by showing intermittent turn lanes excuse me, at major intersections along the corridor and shared bicycle lanes on both Ashman and Rod streets. This is consistent with how a number of similar streets in Midland are treated today. So if you think about it as an example, Jefferson Avenue is primarily has intermittent turn lanes as you approach major intersections, be it Saginaw, I'm sorry, be it Sugnet or St. Andrews or Meadowbrook or the like, and then have shared bicycle lanes otherwise. We received a tremendous amount of public input during the process about the desire to see dedicated bicycle facilities on at least one of the two streets. And so we recommended, we, as we move forward to council, that we include at least dedicated bicycle lanes on one street, which we think, given the nature of the land uses along the corridor uh, and the expected level of traffic, that Rod Street would be the appropriate street for that dedicated bicycle facility to be provided on at this time. So in terms of additional alternatives, of course, as noted in some of the earlier public comment and also in some of these plans that were more district focused, the city could consider restoration of two-way traffic in the downtown district only, so south of Indian Street. The city could consider restoration of two-way traffic north of Nelson Street only or some other point along the northern part of the corridors in Center City. We could look at dedicating the existing excess capacity on these streets to other uses, such as on-street parking, dedicated or protected bicycle facilities or some other purpose. Uh, these haven't been analyzed largely because the potential circulation benefits of two-way restoration have been the major focus since the one-way network was created. So really the, the crux of this has been that folks throughout the history of these streets have said, we'd really like to see two-way traffic restored. And so that's what's been studied here. So in terms of potential benefits and drawbacks, we'll just run through these really quickly. So looking at non-motorized transportation facilities, currently we have an incomplete non-motorized network on these corridors. We have shared bicycle lanes, so in-lane shared markings on Ashman Street from Nelson to Ann. 
and the same on Broad Street from Buttles to Nelson. We have no non-motorized facilities between Nelson and Cambridge on either street. Under a two-way restoration, we would have a complete non-motorized network connecting downtown, midtown, and center city via dedicated bicycle lanes on Rod Street from the riverfront, so at the Pier Marquette Rail Trail, out to Cambridge Street, and shared bicycle lanes similar to current conditions on Ashman Street from the riverfront out to Cambridge Street rather than their current terminus at Nelson. In terms of traffic flow impacts, obviously current scenario maintained, there's no improvement or change to traffic flow. We would see continued cut through traffic on side streets, which is another issue that we heard about from residents that live in the neighborhoods adjacent to these corridors, is that people use those residential streets as designed to cut through, to, to redirect themselves uh, to their destinations that might be on the opposite corridor. Um, and there's fewer options for travel through the city. Essentially, if you wanna travel northbound from downtown to the circle area, Rod Street's your option. If you wanna travel southbound between the two districts, Ashwin Street's your option. Under two-way restoration, we would see minor improvements to traffic flow, nothing major. It'd be pretty much the same as current conditions, some modest improvement at a few locations. We'd see reductions in cut-through traffic on side streets because those movements would no longer be necessary. And we had more options for travel through the city. So instead of having one way to travel from center city to downtown and vice versa, we would now have two. Public service impacts, current configuration provides for less efficient delivery of services including solid waste, street sweeping and transit, and longer response times by police and fire services. Two-way restoration would offer more efficient delivery services, solid waste, street sweeping and transit, shorter response times by the police and fire departments, and therefore the restoration supported by the fire department, the police department, and the Department of Public Services. They've been part of this project and they all see the value of a two-way restoration for their operations. In terms of traffic safety, the current configuration Generally, we'd expect to see higher speeds. It does have fewer conflict points that's sort of baked into a one-way network where you have fewer potential traffic movements, you're gonna have fewer potential conflict points, but there's no real way to address the wrong-way driver issue. So I know it was noted earlier that, you know, we just need more signage and markings. I, I think it goes without saying that that doesn't work generally. Um, there's a lot of signage and markings out here already, and nevertheless, people still do find themselves traveling the wrong way. And that's not an issue until it is an issue. And I know over the weekend we had an issue with somebody being killed in the community on the, by a wrong way driver. I don't think that that's necessarily gonna happen here, but you know, those, are, those are rare events in any case. And we have a lot of near misses that I think anybody in the community, even me who's lived here for a year, I've seen more than my fair share of wrong way drivers on these corridors uh, in my time in the community. The two way restoration it would likely lead to lower speeds. So one of the speakers earlier talked about narrowing the view. That's a very commonly accepted engineering principle that when you narrow that perspective of the driver, you don't allow that opportunity to weave around slower moving traffic, you're gonna lower overall driver's uh, lower speeds. It would have more conflict points. Having additional turn movements adds additional conflict points, um, but it would eliminate the wrong way driver issue because the roads would accommodate those wrong way drivers. They would be right way drivers. In terms of ease of navigation, the current system is less intuitive and doesn't offer the direct travel that a two-way system could offer. Currently, you cannot return necessarily by the path that you arrive at a destination. So if you travel down Ashman Street to get to Kroger and you need to travel back to the north part of the city, you cannot do it by the way you came. So that's just by its nature less intuitive. Um, if you go out there, I'd encourage you next time you travel on these corridors to look at the amount of routing sign signs that we have in this area. 
I haven't endeavored to actually count them yet, uh, but there's a lot. There's a tremendous amount of directional signage in these areas attempting to address some of the challenges here. Some of this is just baked into Midland's DNA, and I think we can all agree that by virtue of having part of the community oriented parallel to the river and the rest of the community oriented parallel to the rest of Michigan, <laughs> that, that's gonna confuse people. Uh, as I said, the circle is strange. The circle is a weird thing. And there's no, I've had people ask me, well, how do we fix the circle? You can't fix the circle. I mean, the circle is strange. It will always have trade-offs. It will never operate perfectly. It's always going to be something that we have to consider um, how to optimize. Um, but certainly, two-way traffic flows being the norm on nearly every street in the world and nearly every street in Midland will be more intuitive and require less routing signs than the current system. In terms of impact on commerce, two-way restoration would offer more visibility for businesses, very simply by letting people travel by the businesses in two directions. It would provide easier access to public and private parking facilities, including the Larkin parking ramp. There'd be less planning required for multi-stop shopping trips. So again, maybe it's just me one year in, but trying to get from Sherwin-Williams to Kroger or vice versa requires a lot of thinking and a lot of planning for businesses that are basically within viewing distance of each other. And it would provide more connectivity between three really vital and you know, rejuvenating districts of the community, downtown, midtown, and center city. And in terms of consistency with other street treatments, a two-way restoration basically puts Ashman and Rod Street on par with the design of basically every other street in town except for the business route. That includes Jefferson Avenue, Waldo Avenue, and East Ashman Street. I'd also note that all of those streets carry the same or more traffic than either of these corridors do. So Jefferson Avenue is an example, and Waldo Avenue is an example, are carrying two to three times the traffic of Ashman and Rod Streets on a given day with a two-lane, two-way um, alignment. And again, I've not heard anybody propose to make either of those streets one way, uh, despite the virtues of one way on traffic flow. Um, so this would be consistent with what people experience everywhere else in Midland in terms of the driving experience. Um, the current configuration is most consistent with the design of US 10 business route, which carries two and a half to three times the daily traffic of either Ashman or Rod. So we really have a roadway design that's appropriate for about 20,000 cars a day servicing about four to 8,000 cars a day. So in terms of consistency with your plans, which is an important function of the Planning Commission, the Center City Redevelopment Plan, as I said, looked at both alternatives, one-way traffic as currently exists or two-way traffic, and the plan was developed with the other in mind, so it works both ways. Downtown Streetscaping Plan recommends two-way restoration, so two-way restoration would be consistent with that plan. The Riverfront Redevelopment Plan considered that this may change, but it may not. So either uh, two-way or one-way traffic is consistent. Compatibility with the Business Route US 10 project. I will tell you MDOT is anxiously awaiting the decision of the City of Midland so they can finalize their design elements for the four intersections that would be impacted by a conversion. And so uh, we can expect that this will be uh, able to be integrated in that project as long as the city makes a decision soon. I think MDOT had hoped that they'd have a decision sooner than they're likely to get one, but we should still be able to integrate those decisions into that final design. And in terms of construction impacts, of course, doing nothing won't add any additional impacts. If we was to be converted to two-way traffic, there would likely be minimal impacts of construction, probably limited to a weekend, um, where there would be um, some road closures to accommodate restriping the road. So, 
This has been a topic of conversation for 60 years, longer than I think everybody's lifespan on the Planning Commission, certainly longer than mine. Um, so why are we talking about this now? Why is this getting the intensity of attention now? And the answer is really simple. We've got multiple projects that happen to impact these corridors that are all happening at more or less the same time. I don't think that was by design. I think that's just, we've got a lot of energy going in our uh, business districts right now. And so we've got downtown streetscape phase two, that's sort of in the queue, waiting to get started, waiting on a decision about Ashman and Rod Streets. We have Saginaw Road Streetscape Phase 2, which is again the project from Dartmouth Street to the north, continuation of Phase 1, and which will impact Ashman Circle, which is waiting on a decision on Ashman and Rod. We've got the Business Route 10 M20 project, which is Indian Buttles, Patrick and Lyon, up and around to Jerome, that project, that street being reconstructed in the near term, and then the previously mentioned Rita riverfront redevelopment plan, which is right at the end of these two corridors and would obviously be impacted by whatever decision is made on their future. So we're talking about millions of dollars in public and private investment that have already happened in these areas, and there's a lot of energy. Um, so direction from city council is basically needed so that the pieces of the puzzle for all these projects can come together. So in terms of next steps, the Center City Authority and Downtown Development Authority are also currently doing what you're doing, which is looking at this issue and coming up with a recommendation. Because they're more narrowly focused than the Planning Commission, you know, they, they've got a unique focus on the business environments and the investment environments in Center City and in downtown. And so that's why they're part of this process. Planning Commission, you all can provide the holistic perspective on how things impact the entire community and also how things align with our city master plan, our complete streets ordinance, and the draft of the city modern master plan, which we'll be talking about at your next meeting. Um, therefore, in order to integrate the feedback of the center city authority and the DDA in your decision making, since you're looking at this more broadly, we anticipate we'll bring this item back to you under old business on the September 26th agenda so that you can deliberate and make a recommendation to city council. So we're not asking you to do anything tonight including you can stop listening to me because my presentation's <laughs> almost over. Uh, we have received 19 communications on this item dating back to that council referral. 14 were included in your packet and an additional five that were received after the packet was finalized were provided to you on the dais. We do intend on aggregating all of the comments received from that start date to your uh, deliberation and recommendation and to your packet. So you'll see all these correspondence again, plus any additional correspondence that come in in that time period in that uh, September packet. So with that, I'm gonna get some water and I would welcome any questions, Mr. Chair. All right. Questions, commissioners? I have a quick question on your slides. You mentioned the five uh, public sessions and I saw three dates on there. Were there like multiple ones per? Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, so a couple questions. Um, one of which um, I guess I'll just lead off with. So you started with the procedural history um, and you mentioned that there was general direction given to staff in January of 2022. That seems to have started a lot of this process. Um, I think that might've been before your time with the city. So I'm just, is there any context you can give to what general direction means, maybe even why it was given at the time it was given? Sure, so the strategic planning retreat, just in its simplest terms is to look at what the work plan of the city is gonna be in the future major goals and objectives of city council. It's not a time when they vote or take action on issues per se. So when we talk about general direction, one of the things they talked about is because we have 
those other major investments taking place, all of which are sort of hinging on a decision on this corridor, what information was needed in order to make that decision and getting that ball rolling so that we could make timely decisions to allow those other projects to move forward. And then um, I think I've got it, but then the city hired OHM and then PM Blah. So what did one provide that the other didn't? So the initial question was really, should we, uh, trying to put this in a nice way, is it worth engaging with the public on this topic if the traffic flows are not going to work? Yeah. So would converting this to two-way traffic just cause gridlock? It wouldn't work. It's not feasible. And if that's the case, then why move on to a public engagement if we ultimately find out later it can't happen? So it was really to check the box on is it feasible, which that OHM study did check that box and say, yes, you can do this, and the traffic flow impacts are neutral to positive. And so that put council in a position to be able to make a referral on additional public engagement on the, on the project. Okay. So that is kind of the, to your point about urgency, um, these other investments are happening, are going to continue to happen. So there's a limited window and an opportunity, or however you want to describe it, um, to do something else at the same time. And that's really the, the decision recommendation that's before us, and that's why it started with City Council back in January 2022. We needed clarity on that so that the other projects could move forward. Yes or no, we just need to know yes or no to move forward with the other ones, right? Yeah, I mean, the reality is that the most efficient time to make the change, if right. it's desired by the city, would be now because it would align with all of these other projects that are already programmed. It's not to say that the conversion couldn't take place at a later date. It just would likely come at more disruption to the community and potentially at a higher cost. And then, um, I guess, a somewhat more technical question. So you brought up the cost question from OHM. So this could be a novice question. I've never hired a traffic firm. I've never worked with a traffic firm. Can we go back to OHM and say, like, wh wh <laughs> where did this number come from if, you, if we only have a paragraph of it in a study? Yeah, and we've asked that question, and basically, I think the short answer is if we will re-engage with them, they oh. would provide more detail. Okay. Go ahead. Um, so more logistical. So we're going to look at this again, you said September 26th, and yes. then would we consider and make a decision then or would we look at it again after we get more information uh, the intent is the planning commission would deliberate and if you're ready to make a decision and recommendation that you would do it at that time so will we have um, the information from the other groups that are looking at this prior to like I guess in our packet as yes. we would typically okay um, is there uh, any organization from Midtown that would be discussing uh, their views so the Center City Authority and Downtown Development Authority are um, functions of the city. They're created because there's tax capture. So not to get totally derailed, but basically money from property taxes in those areas is captured to be spent on projects within the areas. And in having that type of a tax increment plan, you have to have a board to accompany that. So that board advises on a number of issues, including how to spend those tax increment dollars. We don't have a similar function uh, in the Midtown area. So Midtown, and Commissioner Deckerow could probably provide a better background on that than me, but Midtown is really an idea, is relatively new, and it's a little... Uh, Grassroots? Well, I was, well, was going to say, it's not, it's not as clearly defined as the DDA and CCA because it is more grassroots, um, and it's generally, I think, centered on those areas between Indian and probably Carpenter Street, where we have some existing historic mix of use, whether it's industrial, commercial, multifamily, or single-family residential, 
um, that kind of lacked an identity because it was just in between. And so the midtown nomenclature started to catch on in just recent history um, as a way to activate and, and energize. I should say Commissioner Broderick probably could jump in on that too. <laughs> Commissioner Decker is just closer and was in my line of sight. So. And, and just a comment on that there is a neighborhood association. It's not like the other. Um, it's not formal, formalized or right, organized it, by the city, but there is one. Correct. That There's one that's grassroots or whatnot. Right. One other question. Um, I heard an interesting um, comment tonight about um, looking at this not as an issue of traffic and transportation, but as a, a, an element of a neighborhood. Has that been looked at by you all or anyone? Has anybody looked at it as something more than just a traffic or transportation issue? Yeah, I think a lot of the folks that are advocating for the restoration are looking at it through the lens of either business, you know, growth and prosperity. So things that are a little bit harder to pin down, they're not things that you conduct a study like traffic flow where you can count cars and you can predict traffic movements under a restoration uh, scenario. It's, it's a little bit uh, less quantitative and more qualitative. Um, we've certainly heard that a lot from the community. Um, have we studied it? No, because again, it's very qualitative. It's a, kind of a matter of opinion whether or not two-way traffic is going to create more of a neighborhood feel is not something you can really study. Kind of building on that, so you mentioned the public input that at least has been received up until this point. I mean, is it is it appropriate to try and like apply or classify sentiment to that? You identified some themes. Are those neutral? Can we assign positive, negative? Should we even assign positive, negative to that to get kind of somewhat to what she was saying of the more qualitative aspects of the impact? Sure. I mean, I I don't like to quantify on that granular level when okay. I don't know what's in people's hearts. The I'd say the vast majority of the people I interacted with at the community conversations were in opposition. I'd say most of the people that were in opposition were not strongly in opposition. They just didn't really know the background of the project, so they wanted more information. That's why they came out. Um, they didn't necessarily understand it. I don't think all of them or many of them left with their minds changed by the information that was presented, but I think most people's opposition didn't grow stronger as a result of that. That's not unusual. I'm in my 14th year as a practicing planner. Um, you all have served on this board for some period of time. You know that generally speaking, it's easier to engage people when they're in opposition to a topic than when they're in favor. And so I'm not necessarily surprised by the split of feedback. Um, it's certainly not 100% in either direction. Um, not even close, but again, I, I don't like putting numbers on it because that's not, right. I don't have that data in front of me, but I can tell you that there are people that came on support. There are people that came out truly neutral. They just were like, Hey, I got a postcard. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> what is, what is two way? What does that mean? And then we had a lot of people that came out and said, I don't like this. I don't want it to happen. Most of whom just wanted to get more information about what the impacts would be to them and what the timing would be. So going back to the question about the CC and the DDA, so other members of our community, businesses, et cetera, um, obviously represented majority, like majority of CCA and DDA, those are business interests, um, for lack of a better term, in my opinion. Um, and just looking at when we looked, when you went through the background, I think I counted, maybe I'm wrong, I think half of the studies that were have been done over the past 20 plus years have been from the perspective of business. So uh, I guess two questions, I mean, is, is that intentional um, in that, that's been something that's missing from the conversation. Um, or I guess just why there were that many studies from the business perspective 
and then second to that, um, we've been talking about this for 20 years and nothing really has been followed through. So a lot of those backgrounds, particularly from the business, was changing this to two-way and nothing happened at the time and we're now talking about it again. So for context, both the Center City Authority and Downtown Development Authority are primarily made up of property owners within the district. Okay. They may be folks that own the property that a business on the business okay. is located in. They might be business owners that are occupying a property that someone else owns. Both. Um, we do have institutional membership, so folks from the city and folks from other institutions in the area that aren't necessarily for-profit businesses. And there are resident members of those boards. That's certainly not the dominant voice in the composition of the board, but those voices are are represented um, through membership. Um, second part of your question, I'm sorry. So we've, um, you know, mo a lot of the studies we have suggested the two-way, one-way conversion to two ways and no action was taken at that time. We're obviously being asked to consider taking action again. So just, um, I don't want to speculate, but um, was there anything to why we've studied this for so long and nothing's been, nothing's changed at this point? Uh, that's a great question. I, I don't know. Okay. Um, I think the, a lot of the studies have been focused on the Ashman Circle area. And again, the circle is not a problem that is fixable. The design of the circle is always going to have trade-offs, and that's a that's a big project. That's an expensive project, and so I think that is part of it. Is just trying to overcome that kind of hurdle of doing a project that significant and wanting to get it quote unquote right. I would argue there's probably not yeah. one right design for that area, but trying to find the right balance and then find the funding to make that part of the project happen. Um, downtown, we're really just in year seven. Um, we've endured two floods and a pandemic in that time. So I think seven, the last seven years in Midland have been more like three years in other communities because there's been so many things going on that have required a lot of community attention um, that aren't like the nice to do's, they're the have to do's. Um, and so that's probably slowed down progress there. Um, as, as far as why those groups have been the ones really looking at this issue, I think it really just comes down to organization. There's always been an association of business owners at both ends of the corridor in some respects, really going back to you know, the World War II. And so those, those groups are looking at what's in their best interest and they're advocating as groups to the city council on a variety of issues. And so that's, this is one of the many things that come forward as part of that advocacy work. Other questions? Yeah, I think um, to follow up your question though, with all those other studies, has it ever been voted on before or has so, it just been discussed? Yeah, so those studies, uh, I know the 2002 circle area plan was adopted by the city. So that's a formally approved plan. In terms of implementation, as far as I know, the funds to implement that project were never budgeted. And by the time there was renewed interest and sort of people asking, what are we doing with that plan? it was decided to go about looking at a new plan. A lot of things also happened in that interim time period. So between the 2002 study and today, we've had the Center City Authority created. So the CCA didn't actually exist back in 2002. We've adopted specific zoning regulations to the district. They've developed, the redevelopment plan looks at traffic, but it looks at a variety of other issues. So it's not just focused on, on it's definitely not just focused on Ashman and Rod but it's not just focused on roads and traffic uh, more generally. Um, so I think that was just a desire to update that. 
2019, for better or worse, was kind of a tough time to be launching into implementation of a project because we all know how 2020 went. Um, and so we're just kind of now, I think, getting our legs back under mm -hmm. us to get those, that part of that plan um, implemented. Other questions? Comment, make a comment? Sure. Appreciate the presentation. And I just want to say that I really appreciate all the comments too. Um, I, I think it's really great when we can get the community engaged on things like this. Um, it, it seems to be some of the hot topics that get people here. Um, most of our meetings aren't this exciting. But uh, <laughs> um, I, just, I just want to say I appreciate all the comments and, and the presentation. So thank uh, you. I'm not good at much, but I'm good at getting people to turn out to meetings. So. <laughs> just a quick comment along with that. My, my biggest concern back early in the year uh, when this was first introduced was didn't seem like very many people knew about it. And so I think the amount of time that it's starting to get through, um, you know, city council and the planning commission, I think that does help building the news covering it and, and seeing that, you know, more people are coming out for these kind of things to at least hear from the public. Because before when I asked people, they had no idea it was not even going to city council. So I think that's good that it's getting a little more attention. Yeah, this is, I would say, extremely unusual for a road project in terms of the amount of uh, time, attention, and public engagement that have taken place. You don't see that with comparable investments elsewhere in the city's infrastructure. Just don't happen. So I think I've got a final question. Um, so towards the end of the presentation, um, we had uh, drawbacks and benefits. So I see that as basically a decision matrix, um, in my opinion. So how did you come up with that decision matrix? How did you decide what the criteria to include, what our criteria maybe to even exclude? I'm just curious to know how kind of your framing or looking at this decision, because um, it obviously impacts how we make our decision too. Sure, so some of it just comes down to training as a planner. So okay. I started my career working in a public works department, working on street projects and programming things like this. And so understanding what you look at when you make decisions about road design, um, some of it tracks back to looking at the existing plans. And so, you know, uh, for better or worse, I decided to endeavor into uh, our archives here at City Hall, which is a kind of a scary, dusty, smelly place, <laughs> to understand more about this because I like to know the history. I want to know the full component parts. I obviously wasn't in Midland in 1961 to see the conversion happen, and I like to be uh, as specific as possible when I'm talking about something in the background. And so looking at what was considered with prior studies, how people saw the issue, and then what we heard from the public. So what was the public's concerns that they expressed during this current process, but also earlier processes and thinking about what of those elements is most important. Um, you know, again, at the end of the day, tonight's not a staff recommendation. Tonight's just a presentation of information. Uh, we'll certainly, I look forward to hearing from the Center City Authority and Downtown Development Authority on their perspective, following these public engagement activities to see where they feel the design direction should go for these corridors and then working with the Planning Commission to ultimately make your recommendation. Anything else, commissioners? All right. Thank you, Jacob. All right. Um, that concludes new business. We'll move on to uh, communications. We have none. Um, report of the chairperson. Um, I didn't have one planned, although I'm going back through my notes and. Um, I believe at the beginning of the public comments, unrelated items in the agenda, Jill did give a public comment on short-term rentals. Um, so I, I just wanted to 
flag that for staff, I guess, for, for lack of a better term, um, and see if there's any follow-up there that uh, could be done. Is that I'm your asking. whole report? Yeah, I'm asking. I can address that during my staff update. Okay, great. Uh, so we'll move on to report of the plan director. Sure. So I will invert my list and start with Midland City Modern. Uh, the draft plan is almost finished. So be on the lookout for an announcement that it's ready for your review. That will be before your next meeting on September 12th. And staff will be giving a presentation on that, assuming I have regained my voice <laughs> by September 12th, uh, to walk you through um, that plan. Uh, very excited to be able to share that with everyone at last. Um, I did, uh, Ryan and I did speak with Ms. Stazak at one of our uh, final public engagement opportunities out at Plymouth Park about this issue. We do did already have short-term rentals identified within the goals of the plan to address as part of our comprehensive zoning ordinance update. So that is something that's already identified as, a, as an issue. Um, I would just for context let you all know that we do regulate short-term rentals as rental housing. So they're not exempt or immune from participating in the city's housing licensing program, which is primarily geared towards ensuring the health, safety, and welfare of the occupants of the structure when they're renting them. And we do make sure that any units that are created are compliant with zoning. So we're not, you're not permitted to create a basement apartment in a single family residential district for the purposes of having a short-term rental as an example. And we do actively monitor the typical listing sites for short-term rentals, including Airbnb, to make sure that we can identify those units, notify owners of the licensing requirements, and make sure that they abide by them. That can be sort of challenging, because if you've ever booked a short-term rental, you know they don't often tell you where it's located mm -hmm. until after you book. But we are very sneaky, and we have our <laughs> ways of finding out where those are. So we do what we can. If Certainly, if you see or are aware of one in the community and you have a concern, let the planning department know, and we will follow up and make sure that's addressed. Um, so that is covered. But it's, most importantly, Midland City Modern is coming very, very soon. Um, I wanted to remind the planning department that we uh, do have the Michigan Association of Planning Conference coming up on October 4th through the 6th at the Grand Travers Resort up in Traverse City. If you're interested in attending as a planning commissioner for a day or for the whole conference, do let us know. We do have funds available in the budget to support your travel and attendance at that conference. Um, that conference also includes the opportunity to participate in the MSU Extension Citizen Planner Program, which I think some of you have participated in. I know I've participated in it in the past. A uh, great program that gives you kind of like planning school in a couple days. So if you're boring like me and that sounds like fun, uh, that's a great opportunity that I would encourage you all to take advantage of. If you aren't able or aren't interested in traveling to Traverse City for the conference, that is also a training that's available virtually that you can participate in any time. So we'll send information out tomorrow about both opportunities. And if anyone's interested in taking advantage of those, do let us know. In terms of our next agenda, we do have, in addition to introducing Midland City Modern to you, uh, two items, zoning petition 652, which would be application of zoning to an annexed property located at 1011 Vance Road, and zoning petition 653, which would be a change in zoning for a property in the original commercial district located at 6200 West Wackerly Street. Um, this would be almost uh, getting out to Stark Road, uh, requested rezoning from regional commercial to RB multiple family residential, and potentially deliberation and decision on the Aldi proposal from tonight's agenda. And that's all I've got tonight, Mr. Chair. All right. 
So that will bring us to our final item. I'm looking for a final motion. Motion we adjourn. I second. I have a motion and a second to adjourn. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, same sign. We are adjourned.